The same thing is happening in Iraq. Ben Shapiro once tweeted, not even about Gaza, about the West Bank, when Israel continued to build the illegal settlement. He said, 2017, Israel likes to build things, and Arabs, not Palestine, not Hamas, mm. Arabs, like to bomb crap and live in open sewage. Yeah, I thought that was very, very good. The Israeli those are human animals. And the thing is, Ben Shapiro should know better because, you know, long before the Holocaust, before Jewish people were thrown in the gas chamber, the Nazi propaganda called them rats. Now, as a human being, I would never accept that another human being being thrown in a, into a gas chamber, but a rat, kill a ten. Kill a thousand, three thousand five hundred. They are son of a bitch. They are human animals who live in open sewage and decapitate babies. And because of that propaganda, Mr. Morgan, that guy in Illinois, the 71 years old guy, he killed, stabbing the six years old Palestinian kid in Illinois 26 times. And he used to play with him. They used to be friends. But he went in, marching into their apartment, stabbing his mother and killing him, shouting. All Muslims could die. Yeah. It took you eight years to change one word from Jewish to Muslim. And then you transferred your guilt to us and took away our land. Master, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. How do we get from where we are now to peace? Well, first of all, you need to change the perception. Uh, Nikki Haley, the American presidential candidate, said, we are in Israel in this because it's a fight between evil, uh, good and evil. Now, if you already decided someone is good, he can do no evil. And if you decided someone is evil, it's good to kill them. Killing them is good. You see, I, I, the thing is it, is, it is not like something new. I mean, I, I, I look at history and I see, I'm sorry to say, and I'm sorry to say this, but Westerners has always dealt like this with indigenous people. You first treated them like savages, you know, Native American, First Nation, Aboriginal. They're savages, kill all the savages. And then when they're almost extinct, you start feeling sorry for them, you know, like animals. So maybe, maybe the solution is that we kill as many Palestinians as possible so that few of them that remain do not bother you. And you maybe keep, Netanyahu, you keep talking about for, for another hundred years, he'll become a tree hugger. Let me just challenge you on this. And he would campaign for... You keep talking left. about yeah, Westerners go. like me. Okay, so let me return the favor, okay? Hamas yeah. is dedicated to the complete eradication of Jewish people. I am they, not the spokesman for Hamas. I'm not saying yeah, you are. Why do you, why do you I'm not saying I'm you not are. I'm not spokesman. You're talking I to me. I fucking hate them. Basen, Fuck Hamas. You are... You are, Mohammed. No, are no, you happy? You're missing my point. You're talking in a okay. generalized way about people in the West who always talk about Arabs as savages. I don't. No, no, no. I'm talking I about America. I'm, about I actually led the campaign. I'm about I led the I'm, media campaign in this country against the Iraq war. Okay, so I don't you see... Are, you, you, I don't you see people in the Middle East as savages. You but are what I would one say of is, the good ones. But what I, I would say not, is... I'm talking about you. You're great. No, no, it's not about me You're being amazing. great. It's we about, love you. It's about, it's about the way Hamas behaved on October the 7th. What's like savages, like a pack of savages. It was the worst atrocity against Jewish people since yes. the Holocaust. There has to be, of course, there has to be a response. They, so my they question should be eradicated. Is, my question they should for you is, notwithstanding the, the history, Bassett, so hell, where do you want to start at with this? Well, I guess a no disclaimer. <laughs> um, we at uh, Nifty Rocks Media do not. Uh, condone nor endorse uh, anti-Semitism, uh, and that is anti-Semitism as defined by basically 
bigotry and hatred toward the Jewish people. Um, you might listen to this episode and think that we feel otherwise, but I have actually done lots of soul searching and listening to very heated debates about whether criticizing the nation of Israel equates to anti-Semitism. And while the nation of Israel declares that yes, it does, the rest of the world says, no, that's silly. So I wanted to reiterate, we are not Nazis. I do not hate the Jewish people. I have no ill will whatsoever to them or, for that matter, the Palestinian people. Um, yeah. Uh, you think that sounds about good enough, Mike? Yeah, actually, I have some quite high admiration for both sides on this, you know, for, you know, what they've put up through in their history and stuff and, you know, what they, they still accomplish in regard, uh, in, in spite of that. But yeah, criticism is definitely not hate, um, or, you know, any kind of dislike, you know, we might dislike your actions folks, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have any type of feels towards yourself on that action. So make sure you keep that distinction in mind. And uh, with that, welcome to uh, Season 2 of Stoner's Point Podcast. And don't ask where we've been, because you know, half the time we don't even know ourselves. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there were some crises of multiple, multitudes of variety. Um, and well, yeah, here we are. We were going to start back with Trump, but you know, all this shit happened, and I, was, I ended up accidentally doing a whole bunch of research. I was like, well, shit, I'm most of the way there. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, you know, you, you, you see the news and it's like, well, you know, plans have changed. You know, somebody needs to talk about this. And, you know, other people are talking about it, but they're, they're just talking about what's actually happening at the moment. And, you know, nobody's really talking too much about why it's happening and what other options there are. And, you know, it, it's trying to pick a side in this it doesn't matter what side you try to pick you're always on the wrong side you know, it's, it, depending on what room you're standing in really so yeah let's have some fun with this <laughs> yeah so uh let's see and what it is israel and palestine so yeah that's 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 the basic topic israel and palestine yeah most yeah. I'm being spoke. I'm my my research mostly focused on uh, the nation of Israel and the history of Israel, and like leading into the current conflict. Um, you know, Palestine is Palestine. Um, I'm gonna go into some detail about what Palestine is, um, but for the most part, it's just a place. You know, like any other place with people there. Um, so yeah, I guess we're gonna have to start with what is israel it's um a make-believe place that was just you know thought into existence and you know people were well i don't know yeah <laughs> let's actually go through the actual history of it before we start throwing out uh, opinions <laughs> and uh folks um I, with this episode i will be posting a text document that has or word document whatever that has um links for pretty much everything. There is a Wikipedia link in there, but I that was mostly because all the links that are, you know, I would have posted came from that. So, you know, follow the links yourself on that one if you don't trust Wikipedia. You know, do the independent one on independent research on that. 
But really, the Balfour uh, Declaration, there's not a lot of debate on what it was. So, <laughs> But uh, my first source I got here is from Biblesprout.com. <laughs> and it is, what is the nation of Israel and how did it begin? Um, the Jewish nation is a descendant of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, through their son, Isaac. Abraham also had an older son, Ishmael, by Hagar. Additionally, he had six sons by Keturah, who he married after Sarah died. And uh, Genesis 17, verse 5 through 6, No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from, from you. And just a little bit later at Genesis, Genesis 17, 20, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. Um, so the Arab nations, according to this weird view, are descended from Abraham and his wife's handmaid Agar through their son Ishmael. It is sad the Jews and Arabs are half-brother nations having the same father but different mothers, and yet are so constantly in warfare. That is a quote from Biblesprout.com. <laughs> they then yeah. go on to say that uh, the only thing that can change this is when Jesus comes back to rule on the earth, and the Jews and the Arabs acknowledge Jesus as God's Son, the Messiah of the Jews and the Savior of the world. So we can just go ahead and end the uh, podcast right here, Mike. Yeah, uh, God the, said it. Yeah, it's been, we, we know the problem, and we got the solution right here, and wouldn't you know, it's Jesus. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 that always becomes a big problem just about in every conversation or topic that you can bring up, but um, yeah, wait, wait a minute, wasn't Abraham before Noah? Um, yes. Wait, 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 no? Hold on. I could be completely fucking stoned. I just did take a big-ass dab hit. My brain could be completely rewired. I doubt it, but it could be. I've been mistaken. Nope, Abraham was after the flood. Uh, 400 years. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was descendant of Shem, not the other way around. Yeah, that was my bad. Yeah, I, I, I knew that. But then, you know, it made me question it. Yeah, like I said, I just took a dab hit. My brain was rewiring itself here, so yeah. <clears throat> That's why I, I questioned it. I didn't state it. <laughs> put too much stock into what um, religious documents that were written by people say about said people. Um, it turns out most of that book's nonsense any fucking way. Well, like, uh, yeah, going again yeah, to reaffirm, I have just you know, went through an entire month of redoing the Genesis thing. You know, folks, there's a lot of names and a lot of stuff that happens in that particular book. And it's, it, it, it's hard to keep it all in order, especially when you're looking through five different things at the same time. It's a lot of mess in that book. Which begs a question. How do y'all people read that daggone book and get through Genesis and still want to read the rest of it? Mike, you have to circumnavigate your intellect. (laughs) 
<laughs> you have to circumnavigate your intellect so that your thoughts can be taken over by the Christ consciousness. Okay, so where we're at here is we got a bunch of people that were, you know, born out here. You know, they, they, they're pitching their tents because, you know, they, they were told they're supposed to be living in tents then, not the city. So they pitched their tents in the town. You got a whole bunch of brothers and cousins and family members in this one region. They pitched their daggone tents, and they're all told they're going to be a nation of themselves. That where we're at there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... I have a, I have an actually scar, scar, uh, scar, uh, uh, you know, a smart person article, um, not related to the Bible, uh, from LiveScience.com. Um, of course, the link will be in the notes. Uh, they say the term "ancient Israel" is used by scholars to refer to the tribes, kingdoms, and dynasties formed by ancient Jewish people in the Levant an area that encompasses modern-day Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, Jordan, and Syria. Scholars draw mainly on three sources to reconstruct the history of ancient Israel. Archaeological excavations, the Hebrew Bible, and texts that are not found in the Hebrew Bible. The use of the Hebrew Bible can be challenging for scholars. While some of the accounts are thought by many scholars to be mystical, such as Nebuchadnezzar II's conquest of Jerusalem are known to have happened. Yeah, yeah, we got to think now that yeah, at this particular point in our history, you know, the land of Israel doesn't actually exist yet. Um, we're calling it the land of Israel for historical reference because it's Israel now, and that's the land that you know Israel now occupies. But it wasn't called Israel then. You know, the name Israel doesn't show up even in the Bible until late, you know, almost at the very end of Genesis. Yeah, um, and in the archaeological record, the earliest mention we have of the word Israel comes from a stela uh, found in Thebes in modern-day Luxor, Egypt, and was erected by the ancient Egyptian pharaoh Merneptah, who reigned from around 1213 B.C. to 1203 B.C. The inscription mentions a military campaign in the Levant during which Merneptah supposedly, quote, laid waste to, quote, Israel, among other kingdoms and cities in the region. That is the earliest proof we have found that they played a nation called Israel existed, or at least a city called Israel existed. Um, the Hebrew Bible claims that Jewish people fled Egypt as refugees before arriving 40 years later with divine help in the Levant, where they started conquering territory from the local population, such as the Canaanites. Mike, what do you know about Canaanites? Well, that's what I was getting ready to bring up. Uh, bring up uh, what I ask is, did they actually name it as the nation of Israel, or did they call it the land of Israel? I don't believe there was a distinction really between the two. Because that's what I think the distinction it w would be, um, and why they call it the land of Israel in the Bible. I mean, because... Like I, I brought up a, a, a thing, a, 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 an example to you in one of our earlier discussions on this about that, you know, I live on land owned by my family, you know, I'm not going to say the name at the moment, but I live on the family land. You know, it's the land of that family. And, you know, we use it as a name. I'm going to use mine because I don't really give a crap about my name. Let's say it's the land of Austin. You know, if I own land. Um, it is the land of Austin and, you know, I could 
call it, that's my land and all, but because that land is in the state that I live in, I don't get a claim to say that that's my state. Um, I live in the state, but it's, it's not mine. Um, but I do get to call the land my land. And so if they're saying the land of Israel, you know, which I think his name was Joseph at the time, if I remember my name's right, um, they would call it the land of the person who owned it because these people owned a lot of freaking land at that time. And I'm not sure when the distinction became that the land of a person, when did that land become a nation? And that is, you know, what I was trying to figure out there, you know, when I was looking at this and the first mention of an actual nation of Israel that I found was when Britain made it. Well, it it had a king, right? And it had subjects and it went to war. It was very much a state. So um, in a time when like nationhood and statehood wasn't really, wasn't really a clear distinction, you know? Yeah, I mean? that line is still blurred over there in Europe. So yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but according to life science, the Canaanites were people, well, just hear that out again, were people who lived in the Canaan, land of Canaan, an area which, according to ancient texts, included parts of modern-day Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. Uh, most of what the Canaanites, we know about the Canaanites, come from records left by the people they came into contact with. Uh, some of the most detailed surviving records come from the site of Amarna in Egypt and the Hebrew Bible. Um, additional information comes from excavations of archaeological sites that the Canaanites are thought to have lived in. Uh, the reason I, I, I went back up and said were people is because we can't ask the Canaanites um, what they were. Um, scholars doubt that the Canaanites were ever politically united into a singular kingdom. Uh, in fact, archaeological excavations indicate that the, quote, Canaanites were actually made up of different ethnic groups. During the late Bronze Age, Canaan was not made up of a single ethnic group, but consisted of a population whose diversity may be hinted at by the great variety of burial customs and cultic structures. Yeah, well, I mean, you're just you're talking about a, a middle of a region where lots of other empires of the time, you know, would have been kind of meeting, you know, when they're trying to, you know, you know, the Chinese going one direction, the Europeans coming one direction, the, the Africans going one direction. Everybody's meeting in that for centuries before this became a land to have national or political views and trying to identify itself as individual states or whatever. It was, it would have almost had to have been a, a, a a conglomeration of different peoples from all around the area that basically just met in there. Um, I, I think the term Canaanite, um, and yes, this is after the whole mass exodus of the human species coming out of Africa. Yeah. I realized that they would have got there first and then spread out. But then, you know, once civilization started forming around it, they start coming back in to do trade. That that's the point that I was getting at there. Um, the, I think the word Canaan, Canaanite is it has similar intimacy to like the the history of the word barbarian. Um, in ancient Rome, a barbarian was just basically someone who didn't speak Latin, therefore a foreigner. I think Canaanite was something along the lines of gypsy, uh, because the earliest undisputed mention of the Canaanites comes from a 
letter found in Mari in uh, uh, modern-day Syria that dates back almost 4,000 years ago. And the letter is addressed to a king of Mari and says that, quote, thieves and Canaanites are in a town called Rahisulam. The surviving portion of the letter alludes to a conflict or disorder that is taking place in the town. Um, later on, uh, somebody there's a, a couple hundred years after that, there is text written on the statue of Idrimi, a king who ruled a city named Alaka in modern-day Turkey. Uh, one day, it, it says that at one point he was forced to flee to a city in Canaan. Which basically, it's, it's like he, he was sent into exile, is what I'm getting at. So it seems like Canaanite is kind of vagrant or no, nomadic. It, it seems like that's kind of where it comes from. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like it was a region that just happened to have a city in it. Nobody, it, it I'm not sure that it had a, an actual nationality or, you know, I mean, yeah, they had, you know, like a, a regional ruler. I mean, somebody's got to make rules when you got a lot of people moving into an area, but from from the bible and a couple of other writings of, of the area the vast majority of that stuff was you know you know sheep herder farmland and you know so i mean yeah most of those people are going to have nomadic lifestyles and you can't raise a whole bunch of sheep in you know one area they'll eat everything and die you got to move to a whole another pasture probably halfway across the freaking country that particular country not one like you know you know, the United States size, you know, for the folks that are listening here, that'd be too far. But even here, you know, you go across several states to move cattle and, you know, sheep, they don't eat as much, but they're still going to eat. You got to move them. So according mm -hmm. to the Torah and the Bible and all that, and the earlier, the, 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 the time, the point in time that the people of Israel really started becoming uh, Israel, you know, Israelites, when they really started having their own, uh, grouping together was uh, after Moses, right, from Egypt. Um, so that gives us a bit of a time frame, frame to look at. Um, in Egypt, during this time, uh, the big a, a bunch of text that mentions Canaan comes from the site of Amarna, which I mentioned earlier. Amarna was constructed as the capital of Egypt by the pharaoh Akhenaten. And uh, does that name ring a bell with you, Mike? My vaguely. Oh, no, okay. Well, so what happened then was Egypt was polytheistic, and Akhenaten, <coughs> when he became pharaoh, changed the polytheistic state religion to a monotheistic state religion. The first example I can find in history anywhere, actually, of monotheism. Um. And um, during this is this is actually during the same time that the Hebrews are you know supposedly in Egypt. Well, you know they have their one God and all that. They have Moses, all this shit going on. And um, when when uh, Akhenaten died, his name was erased from Jewish. I mean, from the Egyptian history, pretty much. Like they he was they call him the heretic king. In fact, uh, the most famous pharaoh of all, Tutankhamun, uh, his birth name was Tutankhaten, because it means uh, uh, like the living image of the Aten, and the Aten was the monotheist god that Aten, uh, Akhenaten, Tutankhamun's father, you know, was bringing in. 
Anyway, wasn't he um, the one that they had the uh, the long face that you know Sakaklis is trying to put toward the aliens theory? Yes, that was him. That was him. Yeah. Um. So there is a theory out there. It's kind of fringe, but there's a theory out there that uh, when the Jews left Israel, Egypt, what actually happened was this monotheistic cult left Egypt and <laughs> invaded the Sinai, where Canaan lived, because you know. They couldn't live anymore in Egypt. That that king was dead, and that culture was erased. That entire cult was erased and sent out into the land of Canaan or exile. No, yeah, that would I, be an explanation. I'd buy that before I bought the one that was written. Yeah, and like the where uh, Amarna is, the crossing over the over the Red Sea would have been much simpler than you know where the the Bible says it happened at. Um, yeah, so it's, it, it actually really lines up, you know, that Akhenaten was Moses, you know, or, or, or like one of Akhenaten's priests were Moses and actually founded this religion out of this cult of people that, you know, were being brought out of Egypt because they could no longer live there. Probably because they killed all the firstborn children, but you know, <laughs> I mean, well, that yeah, you know, I or one of his priests being Moses would actually hold more water than the story of Moses as written because there's no evidence of an actual Moses. There's nothing else written about it, that, that particular name or person doing anything along those lines anywhere else to collaborate it. But just somebody giving a name to something they couldn't pronounce or translate. Yeah, I could I could buy that. So what basically happens from this point forward, once the either the the Jews that were being held in bondage or the Akhenaten cult, whatever the case may be. Uh, well, if that particular group of Jews that went into Egypt were held as, in bondage as slaves, then they, that particular group of them deserved it because that particular to- group of them were the ones that sold their brother into slavery to Egypt. So, yeah. That is on, the only thing of that comes from um the the bible now there is joseph in egyptian history and he came from another land and whatnot but he was just one of them he like if it it, the bible's to believe joseph sold the israelites into egyptian slavery i think joseph was just somebody who rose to power in egypt he uh i i don't think they they took that as part of his mythology like he was one of the the, the heroes, the martyrs of the past, kind of, you know, because um, he was monotheistic, right? He or supposedly believed in the one God that Moses later believed in. Um, but there's actually no evidence that he did. Uh, in fact, his burial like site has been found, and it's very much in tune with what an Egyptian would believe about the afterlife. In fact, uh, he was, yeah, everything about, he, he took on Egyptian things, so... I don't actually think that Joseph was ever really an Israelite Jew, you know, like from the, the, the Torah believing, because well, there was no I, such thing at this point. Like I said, the, the, uh, yeah, there's a lot of names because this is the patriarchal part of the, 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 the scriptures. Um, so the names and some of them are completely unpronounceable. And, you know, so, and I'm horrible with names to begin with. But Joseph, isn't he the father of the kids or was Joseph the actual kid that got sent, got sold? I, I can't remember which name was which. So, 
So Joseph was the kid who got sold. Okay. Uh, he was the favorite of his parents, and the brothers got jealous of him, supposedly. This is according to the Bible. And uh, sold him to slaves, and he ended up in Egypt. And his father was then, Jacob? I think so, yeah. And then what happened after that was when um, Egypt was going into famine, Joseph brought in his brothers and whatnot to help work the fields, and apparently, supposedly Egypt never let them go. No, 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 no the other way around. Um, the land of Canaan was in famine egypt was doing great um joseph after being sold after being sold into slavery his brothers threw him in a fucking pit into a cistern and left him there some mennonites came by got him out of the pit sold him into slavery or the brothers sold him to the mennonites to sold him into slavery depending on how you interpret that it's not actually written but either way uh, joseph gets sold into slavery either by his brothers or through his brothers because they're jealous because he got more attention. And so, yeah, there's that whole thing. Um, so Joseph gets into Egypt is, you know, apparently smarter than everybody else. For some reason, apparently God's on his side and, you know, he can do math. Um, and the whole nation of Egypt that's been running just fine, couldn't do it before. And has been doing, is now doing better because some kid goes in there and it starts running things. So he is now, you know, pretty much as powerful as the Pharaoh himself. He has the favor of the Pharaoh, even though the Pharaoh can't sit down and have a meal with him. You know, he's, he's the favorite of the Pharaoh. He runs every fucking thing. His brothers come to Egypt looking for help because they're the thing, you know, the Canaan is in famine and everybody's starving up there. Um, they don't recognize his brother, their brother. So they're, they send him, they get some food and all that stuff. And the brother, uh, Jacob, uh, Joseph sends him off with some silver you know, to try to set him up because, hey, look, motherfucker, you, know, you, you, you did me wrong. I Watch this. I'm, I'm going I'm to mess with you because remember my dream when I said I'd have you all kneeling before me? Watch. This is my chance. Um, they go back with the food and all that, find that there's silver in their bag that they didn't you know, have before, so their father sends them back. Uh, so when they get back, say, hey, we brought, her, brought your silver back, you know, the, the uh, uh, Jacob says, Hey, you know, all right. You say you got a younger brother, go get him, bring him back to me. I think you're lying to him. And not only that, bring everybody. So they go back to go get their family and the father's all pissed off. You know, we can't do that. I'm not sending my youngest son. You've already, I've already lost one to, to whatever, my, you know, because the brothers lied and said that their little brother got killed when they knew he damn well. Yeah. yeah. I've already lost my one. I'm not, I'm not losing my youngest now. He even went to the trouble of like tearing up his coat and putting blood on it. And- yeah. If only they had laboratories back then. <laughs> But yeah, uh, the, the, they come back with the younger brother and you know, they, and they still don't recognize that this guy's their brother. And so he, he says, all right, my father's still alive. And he starts treating his younger brother all great, like you know, feeding him more than he does the rest of the family, giving him better clothing, <laughs> you know, just, just treating him like a, a king here because you know, that's what turned their jealousy. He's trying to find out if these people have changed or, you know, trying to teach them a lesson in his own way. Who knows? Depends on the interpretation, of course. But he sends them back in there. He says, hey, go get your family and all that. You're starving over there. It'd be a lot easier if you just come here. I can take care of you, blah, 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 all that good shit. Just bring them all here. And then tells them, hey, I'm your brother. They had this whole family reunion. Yeah, You can't recognize my face, but they brought him in close. Now, one of those you know, things is, hey, yeah, to recognize me, here's my circumcision. Yeah, you, now you know me. Um, but that's one of the commentaries about that. You couldn't recognize my face. How about my penis? 
<laughs> just went through that. And then, yeah, and yes, I've taken that joke from one of the, the Bible study that I read to get that. You know what makes <laughs> your penis super recognizable? When you hack part of it off. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, you know, we we use the same tool. We got the same little mark here. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's feasible. <laughs> but then, yeah, like I said, it, he sends for his whole family, and his whole family comes. His father, and yeah, they're they're fucking yeah, their servants and their servants' wives and husbands and everybody, the entire fucking pack. You know, basically the entire city of these peoples came to Egypt at behest of their own family. They weren't taken there forcefully. Now, I haven't got to the exact, you know, parts of what happened next. That's where I'm at in that study right now. Um but yeah, they they weren't put there forcefully. Even if they are slaves afterwards, they weren't put there forcefully and they were done dirty by their own kind. Ain't nobody else do it to them. They did it to themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, there's still de there's debate as to whether they were ever even in Egypt. But uh, their monotheism definitely smacks of a lot, and, and, and Moses' laws and all that definitely smacks a lot of ancient Egypt. Oh, they were in Egypt. Um, it's why and how long is, is up for debate. But you know the fact that a group of these folks the, the you know, hebrews at the time you know the jews you know whatever they the names changed but this family let's call them the israelites because you know that's what they turned into and what they are now known as let's call them the israelites um they they did go into egypt you know um yeah for how long is debatable and how they left is debatable but yeah there's there's writings on both sides to collaborate that they did get there and did leave The number yeah. is absolutely debatable. There was not, there were no millions of, of, of slaves there. That wasn't, that didn't happen. No, Israel, I mean, uh, Egypt would have collapsed and so would have the Sinai Peninsula. Um, but either way, uh, this group leaves Egypt and uh, ends up over in the Sinai Peninsula where in the land of Canaan. Now, Canaan's religious structure, uh, there were uh, loose, like I said, there were loose collections of tribes here and there. So they all they're like the Celts or the 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 Norse in in when it comes to their religion as in they had like some centralized gods but each one each area did it differently you know um there was Baal and uh uh Moloch and Hellenistic Huh? Is it Hellenistic or no uh, there's one of those where you got a pantheon of gods but there's only one you know leader of the gods kind of a thing um, that is, there's, yeah, there, that happens a lot. And, but there, in, in Canaan, there really wasn't one because of how kind of broken things up were. They just have multitudes of gods. Uh, one particular cult from the Southern part down by where Yemen is now. Um, they, uh, they, they had, they kind of were isolated group that worshiped exclusively, uh, Yahweh, who was kind of a metallurgical storm God in uh, the Canaanite culture. Well, this Yahweh somehow got married to this group of Egyptians uh, at Mount Sinai with these Ten Commandments and all this shit. That's that that that's where it gets tied into Yahweh and Jehovah and the current 
God and whatnot they had now. He wasn't the God of them always. He was the God of some random Canaanite sect that, you know, religion does what it does when it's trying to infect other people. And is it, it blends in, it hides itself among current already, you know, well-established ideas. No, it's just that particular house's God, because everybody had a God of their house at that time, even if you were in a larger religion that had a, a monotheistic you know, style, you still had gods of your house, but the God of the land w was the God, the God. Uh, right. And in most, 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 in most of these cases, that's exactly what the thing is. But, um, archeologists are finding that the, the Yahweh cult that existed in Yemen, uh, was, it was unique in the fact that all the other gods were in fact evil. Um, the, where the rest of it was just general polytheism. There was multiple gods and you worship the God of your household or your name or your, your tribe or whatever. Uh, the, the Yahweh cult was rather unique so far in what they found. But that was the um, God of their house. And it just so happens that the God of their house gained a lot of popularity. Well, it gained popularity and, and, but to the, like I said, it was a unique thing that the other gods were now rejected as being evil and false. You know, that, that is, that is unique in Canaanite culture to the Yahweh cult. At least so far. Again, there's not a lot of Canaanites to ask these questions to because um, one particular group decided that, you know, their God said that they should kill the other ones. Um, yeah, and God tells Moses, quote, I have heard them, the Israelites, crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Persiites, Tivites, and Jebusites. Um, the stories then told in the Hebrew Bible say that after the Israelites escaped Egypt, they fought a series of wars against the Canaanites and the other aforementioned groups, which led to the Israelites taking over the majority of the Canaanites' land. Uh, the stories also say that those Canaanites who survived were forced into doing labor. Uh, the stories say this conquered land was split, incorporated into a powerful Israelite kingdom that eventually split in two. Now you got to think all these other folks that, you know, they're fighting. Those were their cousins and their brothers and their sisters, families and their fucking former freaking um, handmaidens, families and because they all, these are the same freaking tribe people that were born from the same God and they're given a different tent. And you will be the, the, the tribe of this, you know, uh, of this skill and of that skill, you know, that whole, you know, multiple deity thing. It's actually written about in the Bible. You know, you know, God actually sends this son out to be this nation of that skill. It, it's there. These are all the same family. So, you know, they're, they're, going back in there to take the land back from their cousins that they voluntarily walked away from just, you know, a hundred years earlier. Yeah. Um, and archeologists have noted that evidence for, um, though after that, like according to the Hebrew Bible, a man named David rose to become Israel's King after slaying, slaying a giant named Goliath. And there was actually a lot of fuckery that went on there, but, uh, after his death, which is estimated to be around 3000 years ago, uh, his son Solomon took over and reconstructed what is now called the first temple. 
Uh, the temple was located in Jerusalem and contained the Ark. Um, recent archaeological excavations show that similar smaller temples existed in all over the area at the time. So no one really knows which one was that. Furthermore, uh, mo pretty much all of what we know about King David comes from the Hebrew Bible. There has been one inscription, ins inscription found in an archaeological site of Tel Dan in Israel named that mentions a house of David. Um, the meaning of the words is debated by scholars. Some people really think it's evidence for a ruler named David. But other than that, in the Bible, uh, archaeologists note that evidence for King David's supposedly vast kingdom is scarce. Jerusalem appears to have been sparsely populated around that time. Um, over centuries of archaeological explorations in, Jer in Jerusalem, we haven't found shit. Uh, we found there's any evidence for any type of fucking building activity in that time. Um, basically, the whole concept that there was a land of Israel that was, you know, ruled over by David and they built their temple there. It seems to be an exaggeration, to say the least. Or a retelling of a different tale that came from somewhere in a completely different region, like most of those fables are. Or maybe it was, you know, a particular type of group that we've talked about before that always has to harken back to some golden era of the past. Yep, could be. It, it seems to be a through line. <laughs> Why uh, is yeah. fashion default? <laughs> but I mean, you know, that whole book is, except for a few, you know, passages that actually do denote, you know, historical events as they happened in places that did exist. There's a, there's a couple of those. Um, but most of the stories that are there are just absolute retellings. I ain't going to say that it's plagiarism because, I mean, you know, just telling a story doesn't copy it. I mean, when you change names, places, you, know, you, you can make it your own. And when you're retelling a myth, if I'm, you know, to tell the, uh, a story of Hercules, I'm not plagiarizing it. I'm just retelling and it's up to somebody else, you know, a couple hundred years later, what they made of it. Um, it, I would have to go that, you know, these people just took a story from somewhere else and said, yeah, Hey, we're going to change the name and places and make it refer to us to give our past some kind of meaning. And I, I don't think it was an actual, Hey, this happened, you know, account of actual history. Because we don't have the records to show that in, there, there was a, a record keeper, uh, somebody keeping the minutes of the people. We don't have any of that to show that this is actually what the people did. What we have is a bunch of stories saying this is what happened 500 years before, 2,000 years before, uh, a millennia before the times were actually written about. And you can find stories in other texts some of them even religious texts that say the same thing, just different names, different places, but the events are the exact same order. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, I, 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 I always, I, I kind of lean towards anything that the Bible said is fake until I'm shown proof otherwise. Um, you know, I, I, 
and, and there's a lot of archaeologists that are called biblical archaeologists that I, I, I kind of discredit on, you know, on general principle. But sometimes they do find shit that leans some credence towards the Bible being accurate about this particular thing or this particular thing. And you're going to have that. You know, you're going to have any any story written about a current time is going to contain some some current events. I mean, even look at the Marvel movies. You know what I'm saying? You can find definite ties between like 9-11 and shit like that with the, with the Avengers movies. So... Yeah, there's it, it. It reflect these things. Like some of these things happened, and the story, the the archaeology might say one thing, and the story say another. You know, but I always go with the archaeology when available. But looking through the stories can give you kind of an idea if of some of the things that the the people were dealing with. You know, the stories might not be true, but the way they lived and whatnot, that shit's real. You know what I mean? Yeah, for so, example, on what we were just talking about, uh, Egypt and the, the Jews getting into Egypt. Egypt did exist. There was a massive famine back in those days. Um, and you see, you know, people were uh, migrating into Egypt from all around. That famine did happen. There's, there, there's small fragments of, uh, of notes in the Egyptian history to, to correlate that. And so did that particular group of Jews come in that way as, you know, this, as the Bible wrote, I don't know. It could just be, they inserted that, you know, historical part and yeah, this famine is how we got in there. And then they wrote the story to go, or that could have actually happened verbatim the way that happened. You know, they sold their son and their brother into slavery and he brought his family and all their fucking belongings into Egypt to, to, give some kind of retribution or to, Hey, I'm in a good place. I can help you one way or the other. It doesn't matter. That could have happened or it could have been a complete fabricated story around a historical event. We don't know. There's no collaboration for the actual movement. There's collaboration for the event, not the story. Now the Bible, uh, goes further on down the line, you know, all the stuff, all, all, all this Bible stuff happens. And, um, they state the Bible later states that the rule of Israel's king Pekah, who uh, reigned around 735 BC, um, launched a military campaign that conquered several cities from Israel. <clears throat> oh, sorry, the Assyrian king launched a military campaign that conquered several cities from Israel. Uh, the Pekah was assassinated. And Israel, as Israel's losses mounted, and a new king named Hosea took control over what was left of Israel. Um, accounts then suggest that the Assyrian campaign against Israel was actually just part of a larger war in which Israel and Judah, who which is the like the the split off from Israel. When I said earlier that it split into two different nations, it became Israel and Judah. Um, the Assyrians sided with Judah, while a kingdom named Aram sided with Israel. Um, so basically the kingdom of Israel came to an end when Hoshea was forced to pay tribute to the Assyrians in 723, well, the exact date's not clear, but they're estimated around 723 BCE. The kingdom of Israel came to an end and its remaining territory was incorporated into the Assyrian empire. Most Israelites were deported to Assyria. Uh, the B Bible says that Judah was the last Jewish kingdom standing, although it was now 
forced to pay tribute to Assyria. Well, that should have been the end of it. That should have been the fucking end of it. And if we're at uh, 700 BCE, we're getting pretty close to the the wars that created the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of history of what happened to the Assyrian Empire. But basically, the, the, the moral of the story is, at this point, that the nation of Israel no longer exists in the same way that the nation of the Ogala Sioux or the Kickapoo or... You know, the, 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 the Seminole don't exist anymore. You know what I'm saying? They, the people might be around. There might be some of the people, but their, their, their nation, their nationhood is gone. Has been taken over by the Assyrians. They've paid tribute. They gave up. So, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> Usually when a nation or a country or a kingdom or whatever, fiefdom, whatever you want to call it at the time, you know, usually when one, you know, more powerful, you know, entity comes and takes it over, it's gone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you can, you know, look all over the rest of the world for that particular example, especially when you look at the, you know, the rules of colonization. I mean, you, you don't say you, we don't have Native American empires and nations over here in America. Yeah, no, it's, it's all the United States of America. We took it all. Um, Britain, you know, those, those islands used to be different little tiny, you know, states and you know, nations of themselves. It ain't no more. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and, and like I said, now I don't, do I think that warfare is a good thing? No. But I do believe that it's pretty much what builds nations, right? It's what makes a nation a nation. It, it is fucking warfare. And anything else is kind of underhanded and, and shitty, right? I mean, war is bad enough. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Oh, but when no, no, I, I, I kind of, I got, I got to define that a little bit more. No, that's, that, that's not what makes a nation a nation. What makes a nation is just our definition of this is my, this is my yard. That's, that's pretty much all that is. This is my yard. These are my resources. Anybody comes over here, I'm going to kill them. That's what creates a nation when you give it a name there. We're animals. Anybody thinks we're more than animals is deluding themselves. Just because we have the ability to reason doesn't take us out of the animal kingdom. That just makes us better at killing each other for resources than any other animal on the fucking planet. Uh, therefore, you know, kingdoms really doesn't matter. It's it's just a name we give our yard. We, we're fighting for bigger yards, and you know, we group together because we're social animals, and try to group together under somebody that's got the power to you know get our ideas the same that that's what we're going to do and there's no way around that until we all get the same ideas yeah um yeah i i feel you i feel you um but basically what it boils down to is after this point like yeah they they come the, this particular patch of dirt remains contested um well you know till today actually but it, it's been fought over and taken over and invaded and argued over and slaughtered over. Um, you know, there was the multiple crusades and, uh, you know, it, it 
there's been a, a, a diverse history of people that want this place. Um, like I said before, it's been fought over since the second person put their tent down. Right, right. And so, and the, and the Jewish people, you know, they, they got scattered to the wind, right? Um, they they kind of they they maintained their culture for the most part, like their their histories and their their, their religion, but um, they always had this set identity of separateness. Their their holy book, in fact, says that they are separate. Um, that's the purpose of circumcision originally. It was you know a way to keep you know yourself as separate from everybody else, as marked by God's covenant, um, and. That that's kind of a weird concept in itself, right? Like you meet somebody, like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. Show me your dick, you know, like what? It, it's it's such a weird thing, but yeah, that's they're they're everything about their um their the Jewish laws and everything are to be remain that they are a separate and set aside people. Very very separate. That to, that yeah, go ahead. Separate to the point that. The only relationship that is contested in the first book of the Bible is a non-incestuous relationship. Somebody married outside of their family. That was the relationship that was, you know, no, you can't have that. Every other relationship was, you know, cousins or sister wives or, you know, possibly even, you know, Pay, uh, parent to child, you know, those relationships, those are all good, you know, sought after, you know, ordained even in some cases, but there's one relationship yeah, to where the guy uh, went out of the daggone family and was like, nope, everybody raised hell about that one. So they are very, very separate. Yeah. Um, their God really cares about where you come. Like he just, he just sits in a bush all day watching people come like, okay, that's all right. All right. That's, that's cool. Face to face, man to woman. All right. Oh, no, no, no. Unholy. Wrong. Wrong. She is receiving pleasure. Yeah. This, uh, it's such a weird. Oh, you can take that one all the way back to the, the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, man, you know, sitting there not even knowing right from wrong, all naked and stuff. Didn't even know they were doing wrong. And yeah. You know, you know, God knows right from wrong, you know, but, you know, he made them naked and didn't let them know that it was wrong. You know, what, is this his own personal porn hub? <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. they ate from the tree of knowledge and the first thing they realized was, oh shit, we're naked. This is wrong. Wait a minute. <laughs> if this was wrong and God didn't knew it, wait a eat. It seems more <laughs> likely than like, man, it's getting cold this time of year and we're naked. I'd be more like the guy who's got a damn bramble in the wrong place and that thorn hurt. <laughs> I need a leaf here. At the very <laughs> least. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, and this, this this particular identity, the way that Jews identify themselves okay. as separate than other people, um, it leads to a lot of, like, worldwide mistrust of them. Um, they, they're, they're kind of everybody's fucking... Uh, you know, whipping boy. They're 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 the scapegoat of history, and that's been said by lots of scholars. You know, I could actually see that. And even looking at it in today's day day and age, it's you know old school bullying. 
if you had some group of kids coming into a new area and thinking that they're all this and that, and you know, they're better than everybody else or, you know, any kind of privilege whatsoever, the rest of the population is going to quickly put them in their place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, I can just see that, man. You come through, yeah, my God says I'm all special and powerful. We're the chosen people. And then everybody else in the region is just going to be like, oh, yeah, where's your God now while they're kicking him in the mud? Yeah, a, 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 a common thread of, of, human, of humans seem to be, you know, um, xenophobia. And if you got this group that is, is, like, you know, putting themselves out there as, I'm not trying to, like, victim blame or whatever. But, no, no, you know, no, not at all. People out there is separate or whatnot. They're they're putting themselves on a pedestal. I mean, the the naturally xenophobic people around them are going to do what xenophobes do. You know, xenophobes got a xenophobe. Yeah, it was one of the things my mom taught me a long time ago. You know, you, you know, about the way I wanted to dress. I wanted to do something stupid when I was a kid, and mom looked at me like, "Yeah, that's stupid." But yeah, you know, she told me, "You're the one that's got to deal with it. You do what you want to with it." Yeah, but you got to deal with the consequences. And boy, when I went out there dressed like that, I dealt with the damn consequences. I didn't dress like that no more. So, I mean, that's the way people operate. You do something that's out of the norm of the tribe, the tribe's going to look at you funny. Well, out of, out, out of all this, there starts this new kind of um, a thought process among the Jewish community, especially in the, the Russian Jewish community. They've been dealing with pogroms and whatnot. You know, things are kind of rough. Um, so, sorry, one second. Okay, yeah. So, um, they, what, they start to have this uh, movement that called Zionism, right? Um, which actually immediately got appropriated by these anti-Semitic Russian propagandists and tied it to this fictional book they had made up to demonize Jews called Protocols of the Elders of Zion. But I do not want it to be confused that the Protocols of the Elders of Zion is, in fact, a false forgery. It's not real. There's no secret cabal of Jews trying to run the world. There may be a secret cabal of people that are trying to run the world. And, and there may them, be a Jew. There may, some of them may be Jews. I'm, I do not know. You know, but <laughs> that is not saying that a cabal of secret Jews are running the world. No, 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 no. No, uh, if they no. could run the world, they're doing a horrible job at it. Yeah, and that's basically what the Protocols of the Elders of Zion says. And, you know, and that's where a lot of the European uh, anti-Semitism we saw during uh, the, the, during the Russian Revolution and then the, the, the Second World War, a lot of that comes from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Even modern anti-Semitism is mostly based on ideas that come from Protocols of the Elders of Zion, um, including uh, it included propaganda that uh, Jews ate babies and all kinds of crazy shit. Um, yeah, it started the blood libel and all this. Man, it, it it's an ugly history, but Zionism is not actually affiliated with the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Zionism is a uh, nationalist movement that had its goal as the creation and support of a Jewish national state, a homeland of Jews, a place where Jews could be somewhere safe, 
could rule their own, be masters of their own destiny, and be left alone to, you know, somewhere the Jews could finally call home. Because, you know, every religious, political, and ethnic group have their own homeland, Mike. Yeah, if not, they deserve it, right? Everybody! Everybody gets a homeland! You get a homeland, and you get a homeland! Not you, terrorists! Oh, so that's the solution. They need to go on to Oprah. <laughs> oh, oh, God damn it. <laughs> you get a state, and you get a state! <laughs> <laughs> get Netanyahu on to Oprah, and the situation will be solved. Oh, man. No, we'll digress. No, I mean, shit. What, what was it? Yeah, I mean, they, they deserve to be them people. They they deserve to, to have their thoughts and, you know, however it is. Now, of course, other people have their rights to have their thoughts and, you know, they can conflict. Um, you know, I, people have a right not to like the way that another group thinks and acts and behaves. Does the other group have a right to think, act, and behave like that? Absolutely. As long as it's not interfering with anybody else's right to do the same bullshit and think them way and act the way they want to, you know, nobody should care. Unfortunately, people cared um, to the point where it's become a problem. And, you know, antisemitism is a fucking problem um, as much as any other racism is. You know, I don't know why it's treated special it should just be lumped into racism but yeah just to clarify on that they got a right to to think that they're special and different from everybody else but you know everybody else has a right to think they're nuts for it exactly exactly like you can believe whatever the fuck you want to believe until you're affecting my choices you know and well they definitely start affecting everybody else's choices We'll get to that because, you know, they're definitely affecting everybody else's choices. So basically, um, there was a, around that, so they start gaining a little bit of popularity, the Zionists. Um, there was a uh, Australian, Austrian journalist named Theodore Herzl, who's basically called the father of modern Zionism, um, who regarded assimilation like, you know, Jews just live like normal people. You know, just be a Jew, but be where you are. You're just a person. Um, they, he said that that would be the most desirable solution, but in view of anti-Semitism, is it impossible? That it is impossible to be a Jew because everybody hates Jews. He argued if Jews were forced by external pressure to form a nation, they could lead a normal existence only through concentration in one territory. Um, in 1897, he convened the first Zionist Congress at Basel, Switzerland, which drew up the Basel program of the mo movement, stating that Zionism strived to create for the Jewish people a home in Palestine secured by public law. The center of the movement was established in Vienna. Uh, the Zionist Congresses met yearly until 1901 and then every two years. Uh, when the Ottoman government refused Herzl's request for Palestinian autonomy, he found support in Great Britain. In 1903, the British government offered 6,000 square miles of Uganda for settlement. But the Zionists held out for Palestine. You know, Uganda, because it's empty. There's no one there. Yeah, that would have been a 
you know, if you if you're looking for a home for your people to to migrate to, probably would be better to choose one that doesn't have somebody else already calling it home. Well, I mean the Ugandans, but you know they. they I, I don't think they were. I don't think it would have been as bad. They still would have been doing the same thing that eventually happened. Spoilers, but you know it would have been a different place. It would have been you know different people. And so interspersed, you know, like it wouldn't have even been that foreign because the Ethiopians um, hold on to Judaism. In fact, I believe they're the oldest, um, like intact version of what Christianity started out. You know, uh, they they actually maintain these traditions. So I don't think it would have been as big a deal, um, you know, if they had moved into Uganda as it ended up being where they ended up going. Because Zionists were just dead set on Palestine. Dead set on it. Like, well, because God their happened. book said that was the land that was given to their, you know, their nation father. Their book also said that they were to be, they would return to it only after the Messiah had come. And they don't, re, they don't recognize either Jesus or Muhammad as the Messiah. So they're still waiting on the Messiah to come. There is a lot of Jews who say that the Zionist movement is actually anti-Jewish because it is um, it it goes against God's will. They say that the Jews are to be in exile because they violated God's uh, commandments or whatever, and that God will bring them back to Israel when He is ready, not by some farcical aquatic ceremony. All right, let's pause there for a second. Yeah, I'm backing on it. Yeah. So we were where? Um, oh yeah, right, right before about the time of the World War One, right before the Brits came into the picture, wasn't we? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that part of it there is pretty pretty muddy. Before the Ottomans actually took it all over, I don't remember. I haven't found the history of that particular part of it yet. How much, you know, nation changing was the border changing was in that particular time. Yeah. Um, so Herzl ended up dying, you know, all this is still being, this is still like a, a, a fairly popular fringe movement, political movement mostly, but it's a theocratic political movement. Um, and you know how I feel about theocracies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the failure of the Russian Revolution in 1905... Motherfucker. Hold on. Yeah, and the wave of pogroms and repressions that followed caused growing numbers of Russian Jewish youth to immigrate to Palestine as pioneer settlers. So they haven't actually been given permission, but, you know, they're just going to settle. And these, these settlers, these Zionist settlers... They're, they're, they come back. They they, they they come back to the story later on, but by 1914, <laughs> there were about 90,000 Jews in Palestine. 13,000 settlers lived in 43 Jewish agriculture set agricultural settlements. Many of them supported by a uh, French Jewish philanthropist. Philanthropist. So World War One happens. Um, Bummer, 
uh, political Zionism reasserted itself, and its leadership passed to Russian Jews that lived in England. Um, which leads us to the Balfour Declaration. Um, well, a little bit uh, before that, mate. Um, uh, you got to think, to during this uh, little Zionist thing that was going on, Britain uh, had its homeland islands and it had its jewel of the the east the india it, it's its main little territory over there and they had to travel through this other area here the middle east that was always hotly contested um and then the ottomans yeah they had they came they had that area you know pretty much locked under control for a long time and the brits then had to go through the the Ottoman territories, and they didn't like having to do that. Um, so they started colonizing, you know, all these other areas right up next to, and in some cases, taking parts of the Ottoman Empire so that they could have better travel and more, you know, places to stop in between the islands and India, uh, even to the point of, you know, creating the Suez Canal against Egypt's better wishes and you know pretty much forcing egypt to become a territory um then which kind of got the ottomans all kinds of pissed off and was one of the reasons that they decided to join world war one uh to create this catastrophe here well i guess i should have mentioned the colonization <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there was a lot is, of colonization that was going on at that time to uh, to 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 get that region primed for change. Yeah, and uh, the British Empire is a wonderful example. Only when I'm pressing the button of colonism working, right? Oh, wait, that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I see what um, you did there. Uh, you see what I did there. <laughs> So, sorry, I was I was snacking on some crackers there. Um, now they're all stuck in my mouth. That's better. All right. So, um, yeah, they're basically you know they're trying to get the the Balfour Declaration, which promises British support for the creation of a Jewish home in Palestine. Um. It was included in Britain's League of Nations mandate over Palestine in 1922. Well, before so, then, man, uh, during the 1918 to 36, while the, uh, that area was in British rule, there, there were talks about uh, just you know, letting the Arabs can you know can re retain control of it of, of that region. Um, but there was some agreement, uh, appeal something, my memory's fogging out and my notes are, you know, shit. Um, but they were already into this, uh, agreement with the French about creating a two state solution there. Um, and one of the, this is not confirmed. This is you know, one of the, uh, thoughts that it could have been because these two particular areas were inundated with the influx of Jews and they want a place to put them um, but that that was just that could have been a, a, a particular thought of 
the source material here, but they made a point of it to that there was apparently some strife in the areas of in France and in Britain for the amount of Jews that were in the area there. Um, but uh, it was in 47 was when the League of Nations and the UN uh, decided that, yeah, we're doing a two-state solution here. Right, right. Um, I, mean, I mean, I have my own ideals about the whole two-state solution thing. But, uh, yeah, they, they, it, they, during that time, they really didn't know what they wanted to do with it, right? They had no idea really what to do with this plot of land. There was a whole bunch of different things that were going on. You know, uh, Russians are in the midst of the Bolshevik Resolution. You know, there was a stalemate in southern Palestine broken by the Battle of Beersheba in, in 1917. You know, there was a lot going on at this time. And, like, the Balfour Declaration actually even said that the local populations, um, well, let's get to the text of the Balfour Declaration. His Majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Palestine, a national home for the Jewish people, and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. It being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine, or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. So it actually, on you know, it, it shouldn't have been what it ended up becoming. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it seemed in the initial state like, okay, you can have this area, and you're supposed, to, you're going to live nicely now. You two are going to share. And you're going to be nice to each other, right? That that seems like the, the do, do, does that track for you, Mike? Does that sound about right? Well, yeah. Well, when after before Britain had control of all this land, like I said, they they were the Zionists were offered and rejected a, a, a an offer of land. Um, after Britain was given all this land to control, that used to be the Ottomans. You know, a whole bunch of Arabs over here now. Um, now they had all this other land to give them, and it just happened to be the 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 Sinai Peninsula, the 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 Lenin, and you know, all this homeland stuff. So hey, we got an idea. Uh, let, let's just break it off. And honestly, the first one you know, was heavily weighted toward the Arab nation over there, um, because there was only like a two percent freaking population of jews in that area at the time um most of the land was to be given to the arabs and the little bit of the land was to be given to the to to create the jewish state and a small portion to be maintained by britain and the arabs said hell no you know this is our land we don't want no part of this shit and that was the first of a few offers of this shit and you know where most of this current conflict gets its start Yeah, um, uh, in, what was it, 1922? Uh, between 1919 and 1922, the British are working on this, you know. Uh, they're, 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 they're establishing mandates over former territories of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, you know, and their, their, object, their mandate is to, quote, provide administrative advice and assistance uh, by a mandatory until such time as they are able to stand alone. 
Um, we do that all the time, apparently. Yeah, that was supposed right. to be the original agreement was where the Brits are just going to retain control until these people can get along. And there was a, going to be a one state final, finalization before the Brits pulled out. But that's where I was talking about with that, that Peel agreement in, you know, in 36, where somebody in the background with French said, yeah, no, nah, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to do the two state idea for anyway. Right, right. I mean, let's just draw lines in the sand. They're all brown people anyway. What do we care, right? That's that. That sounds about like the British Empire. Oh, they're all brown. <laughs> um, famous, famous humanitarians. The British Empire. Oh yeah, Boy, yeah, man. They do great, great work. Yeah, done, done great, done great. Uh, good things, good, cool, and good. Um, Works so well that they still do it today. So, yeah, the Balfour Declaration, the, man, the, the Palestinian mandate required Britain to put into effect the Balfour Declaration's national home for Jewish people, alongside the Palestinian Arabs who can, you know, they were the 98%. Um, this requirement and others, however, would not apply to the separate Arab emirate to be established in Transjordan. The British controlled Palestine for almost three decades, overseeing a shit ton of protests, riots, and revolts between Jewish and Palestinian Arab communities. During the mandate, the area saw two, two nationalist movements rise, the Zionists and the Palestinian Arabs. Which leads us to the 1936 Arab revolt in Palestine, and then the 1944-48 Jewish insurgency in mandatory Palestine. Uh, the United Nations partition plan for Palestine was passed on no, 29th November, 1947. Um, I tried to look up the Palestinian partition plan for Palestine, and there seems to have, it seems not to be around. Um, there was I, none. Maybe, oh, maybe nobody asked, you know? Oh, no, no, uh, no, 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 no. The, the, the Arab uh, nation, uh, their, their group, I fucking forgot what it called. I should have wrote that down, but they, they, they formed their own little United nation of Arabs kind of a thing. I can't remember what the fucking name was. United, United Arab Emirates. Uh, no, that wasn't it at that time. That, it, that's that, 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 um, but shit, I, I will have to go look it up and put it into our notes later. But, um, the 47, uh, League of Nations, UN, uh, charter for the, the two-state solution that was rejected and uh they uh, the arabs uh come to their own agreement that there would be no negotiations there would be no uh, uh state of israel uh and they re they completely rejected the idea of a two-state solution in 47 and again in 67 and again in 2000 and again in 08 they they will not accept a two-state solution Well, I mean, what are some reasons that you could blame them for that? Not a single one. I mean, exactly, exactly. And, you, know, um, you wouldn't look how look at America's reaction to the southern border, to our southern border. You know, and <laughs> what? And if we just had to accept Mexico. I mean, Texas was actually just Mexico now. In fact, no. We have to accept that Arkansas is now Texas now. 
You know, we, that's silly. <laughs> you know, we're not going to do that. We're going to fight that shit. We're going to be mad about it. We're not going to fucking negotiate the terms. You if know, Great I, Britain walked over here to the United States and said, hey, you know, we're going to take everything west of the Mississippi and we're giving it back to the natives. And everything, Texarkana, all that stuff is back to Mexico. All you Americans, you're going over here on the East Coast and that's all the land you get to live for these 300 million people. You think we're going to take that? No. Do you think we're going to accept it a hundred years from now? No. Um, as far as I can tell, this conflict is still ongoing from 1918, um, where the Brits mandated that this land is taken from the Arabs and given to the Jews. Yep. Fucking white people, man. Fucking Brits. Now it depends on what side of the fence you stand on, on that. Did the British authority have the authority over all these lives at that time. And we have to go by that as international law. And, you know, okay, I can, I can get on the fence on that and, and argue that if I needed to, I don't personally hold that view, but it is the way of the world. Like as I live in a country that shit happened and I would not stand for somebody stepping over here and saying this, this land goes back to the native Americans. I wouldn't do it even though I do have Native American blood in me and part of my blood says it should happen, I wouldn't stand for it. It's just not the way the world worked at the time and it's not the way the world works now, at least not yet. You just don't get to say that the land goes to somebody because you have the power to say so unless you do it completely by force and eradicate everybody else and there's nobody else to say anything about it, then the land's yours. I mean, it's the way power has come from the dawn of man. Um. So, yeah, there is a stance to say that Britain had the authority and they, they owned the land at the time and, you know, they created a state. So we have to deal with that and we have to get along with the new borders. But there's also the, the, the other side. I mean, I feel for the Native Americans over here that got all their land taken away from them and they're living on reservations and, you know, they have hardly no identity. I feel for that. Do I want to give the land back? No. <laughs> so I'm, I'm on the fence about it. Yeah, honestly, but I can see it from the Palestinians when in the Arabs perspective, that was their land. They took it long, long, long before history was written. It, it's theirs. And then somebody just comes in and because they drew some lines in the pay, in sand and said it's somebody else's now, they got to live with it. And it hasn't been peaceful transition of that. So uh, I, I don't, I really, I'm on the fence of it, man. I don't know where to stand fully but i don't agree with the fact that this this was just pulled out of somebody that has completely different views it was a populated area we're using that particular area to create this state and we had other options it was a bad choice yeah yeah i mean regardless of, of how it got there this is where we are now and you know yeah i get i i definitely understand that that standpoint in fact i listened to a, a debate that had one of the former uh, prime ministers of Israel. And he, he even conceded that point. He was like, look, he was like, I, it is born, you know, the nation is born in sin. He's like, our flag is dipped in blood like all the others. He was like, but we're here now. He was like, you know, we have to come up with some sort of solution. And apparently during Israel's history, he was like one of the closest leaders of Israel that came to finding peace, you know, that came to getting things done. But as usually happens after, 
a somewhat progressive movement in government comes down, it is taken by the far, far, far right. <laughs> like, way far right. It is yeah. crazy. We are way <laughs> past the point of being able to find another place to move this these peoples. Um, you know, back in, you know, the turn of the century, you know, you, there were a couple of million. It was feasible to move them to another place, you know, you know. But now there's way too many. It, it, it's half of the population there now. You can't move these people. That You can't just, all right, move a whole new nation now. It, it's way past that. We have to either get along or we have to. F they have to fight it out. That is, that's the only two options there. Um, so, and like, there's several, basically since then, Israel has maintained that Palestine does not exist. It is not a state. Um, in the Palestine, like, you know, they've even tried to say, look, we'll recognize you if you recognize us. And no, several United Arab countries don't recognize Israel. Um, I, I don't blame them. I don't, I don't recognize, you know, the, the former British governor of New Jersey. You know, why would I? So <laughs> yeah, it's that, that's mostly what the, the strife has been over through most of the Middle East. It comes down to that. Um, like there's been war after war after war in which a few Israelis die and then massive amounts of Palestinians die. Um, and it's gone on like that. Um, yeah. Like, somehow this brand new damn nation's able to win wars against established countries. How in the fuck did that happen? Other than the fact that, Oh yeah. American Britain. And through it all, through it all, one nation that has stood by Israel, regardless of whatever, has been the United States. And that brings me to a little story I want to talk about that I really didn't know about beforehand. And that is the USS Liberty incident. Do you know about that incident, Mike? No, but don't that first part. Yeah, yeah. The Israel should have fucking been erased again for the second time in history in 1947. But, you know, U.S., but Liberty? So, yeah, the USS Liberty. All right, so there was this thing. One of the many wars that had been fought was the Six-Day War, um, in which uh, they were fighting with uh, other nations, including Egypt, um, and we were backing Israel. We had a Navy spy ship in the Mediterranean, and we were kind of close by listening to... Uh, we were in international waters, and we were listening in on, like... Um, transmissions from Cairo and whatnot. Well, um, the ship was marked, right? It had marking on the side. It was flying the U the American flag. It was there were sailors all over the ship. It was identifiable as an American vessel. And in fact, a few hours in the early in the morning, there were several flyovers by Israeli aircraft checking it out. This is in like nineteen sixty seven. Sixty seven, the Six Day War. Yes, sir. Yeah, so um, a few hours go by, and you know the the the, air, the aircraft are gone, and the, they're just floating out there in the water, and then boom, out of nowhere, a fucking torpedo. You know, they get torpedoed by one of these planes. Um, the guns. I mean, you got air air. Uh, you got aircraft running around shooting fire at them. Um, you know, the U.S., they kept trying to, the first thing they targeted was all their communication equipment. Um, so they couldn't call out for help. 
they they floated the flag. They were like, hey, we're on your side. We're your guys. Lots of people died. Um, a lot of sailors died. And, like, Israel was well aware that it was an American vessel. And when they were, this one guy, I can't remember his name, but he was a fucking hero. He actually took a wire from the radio room and then climbed up one of the fucking masts and the destroyed antenna to get the fucking signal out to call for help. Well, uh, America assumes that Egypt is, uh, is attacking, so they load up some airplanes with some fucking nukes, and they're headed to Cairo when word comes down that, wait, it's Israel attacking us. So the airplanes turn around, go back to their aircraft carrier, change bombs, and by the time they get there, the multiple aircraft and gunboats that had been attacking the USS Liberty were gone. Um, their intention was to drum up U.S. support, you know, for helping them in their fight against Cairo, which, you know, almost fucking worked. Um so, yeah, and then the U.S. kind of tried to cover it up, and the Israelis covered it up, but it eventually came to fruition. There's, like, there's a good documentary that the BBC did in 2002 called Dead in the Water, available on YouTube, and Al Jazeera also did a documentary on it. Um, I got the link to the Al Jazeera one in the show notes. But, um, yeah, that, so Israel attacked American vessels, killed American sailors, and in an attempt to get us to nuke Cairo. What ended up happening at the end of the Six-Day War was that we backed out and said, all right, everybody be nice, and we're gonna, everything's going to go back to normal now. That's enough of this. Everybody agreed, and as soon as we were out of earshot, they, Israel did a, quote, preemptive strike and completely obliterated Egypt's Air Force. Um, so, yeah, they have a history of using um, false flag attacks, uh, to drum up support. They have a history of lying in the media to drum up support. They have a history of using, oh, we're just poor Israel, we're just poor Jews, and everybody's it, it wants to kill us because we're Jews, and, you know, what are we going to do? And uh, they also have a history of preemptive strikes, which anybody else would call, you know, just a fucking strike, an offensive posture. You know, they, they have a history of doing shit like that. So a lot of people didn't know that the the you know Israel attacked the U.S. U.S. military, and we were like pretty cool with it. Yeah, I didn't know that myself. Um, I did know about that so-called preemptive strike. I mean, I was like, "What the fuck did Egypt do when that happened?" You know, when I when I read about that, yeah, it was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, let's fly over there and bomb the fuck out of those Israel. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's kind of like the preemptive strike on Syria in this particular. What the fuck did Syria do? And, and that's kind of what happened. That's kind of how the Gaza area, that's the, you know, the background with Gaza is Gaza became a buffer zone between Israel and uh, Egypt. Um, no, about, so <laughs> since you mentioned Gaza during that, uh, at, at the six day war, and I'm not exactly sure of the timeline, we'd have to dig more into the six day war itself. But with somewhere in the point of America's withdrawal and the close to the end of the war and that preemptive strike on Egypt to, to draw them in, I'm not exactly sure when it was, but Israel did offer uh, part of the West Bank to Jordan and the Gaza Strip to, uh, is, uh, to Egypt in for peace. 
in the region, and that's when the Arab Legion got, got together and said that there, there, there's going to be no peace. There's there's going to be no two states here. There's there's no negotiation. Meanwhile, people are being born, you know, and being like, "Well, I ain't got nothing to do with this shit." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people there that didn't have nothing to do with it when this whole line got drawn in the sand. But effectively, what comes out of 1967 is this two-state concept, right? Where and Israel, Israel has, having 99% of the freaking land yeah, over there. It's worse than that. On the surface, that's what it looks like. But, dude, it's... It's way worse than that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting ready to break into that new that that new dirty word. Yeah. Um, Mike, what do you know about apartheid? That thing that only happens in for a short period of time in South Africa, and nobody else knows where it is or what it is. Yeah, it is uh, defined as a policy or system of segregation or discrimination on grounds of race. Now. We can argue a little bit about, about race when it comes to the Jews versus the Palestinians. Uh, there is an argument that the majority of Jews that returned to Israel were, you know, descended from European converts, right? That, you know, they're not actually, like, um, genetically Jewish. Interesting um, fact. The UN does not include race in their definition for apartheid. Oh, it's the UN definition. Fuck yeah. It is one group of people trying to dominate another or a region. One group of people trying to dominate a region over one person's, another person's control. Uh, one group of people trying to oppress the movements or actions or speech of another group of people. And one group of people taking inhumane actions against another group of people. Yeah, that, that that's pretty good. That about sums it up, I would say. Um, so what what initially happens with this is um, they 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 decide that they're going to give that the West Bank and Gaza will be Palestinian territories, right? They'll be Palestine. Um, Israel occupies Palestine, basically saying that if you are an Israeli citizen, a Jewish Israeli citizen, I have to be specific, you can go anywhere in Israel, West Bank, or Gaza. You can access uh, any type of anything. You, you're free to do whatever you want to do. You can build a home wherever you want to build it. You can send your kids to school. You can marry who you want to marry. You can do pretty much anything you want to do. Uh, you can work any job you want to work, um, you know, or, you know, any job you can get. Well, you, know, you know how it goes. You, you can, you can, you're basically American white. Full rights yeah. and freedoms. Right? You're an American white. You can vote and everything else. Well, then there are um, Palestinians who live within the nation of Israel. Now, see, they're... They're a tear down. And I'm not saying that because I say that they're less of a person. I'm saying that because Israeli policy. Because they have an ID that shows it. Yes, Israeli policy puts them a tear below. Now, 
Israeli-Palestinians can vote in, in Israeli elections. However, they're heavily discriminated against, and it's, it, it's near impossible for them to actually vote, right? Um, they can go anywhere in Israel, and they can go anywhere into the West, in, in the West Bank and Gaza, right? Now, they can't go to the Gaza, marry a, someone in Gaza, and then come back to Israel because your citizenship does not apply to your wife. Now, the next tier down is West Bank Palestinians, right? So these Palestinians, they can't vote, and but they can move and work in Israel. They can move to and from Israel, but they have to live in the West Bank area of Palestine. They can work and, in a few places that allow them in Israel. Yeah, yeah. They, don't, they can't hold government office. Uh, they can't. They can't be teachers. You know, um, those are those are re reserved for Israelis and uh, Israeli Palestinians. Um, so now, when you come to Gaza, Gaza is basically a concentration camp. They call it an open air prison. I say it's a concentration camp. Um, <laughs> they have built a wall around Gaza, and if you are a citizen of the Gaza Strip, you can't go anywhere. You can't cross that goddamn border. Um, <laughs> absolutely not. That's not even a thought. Now, and also, you can never upgrade, right? You can't become a, a citizen of West Bank, Palestine, nor can you become a citizen of Israel. A Israeli citizen can downgrade their pass to West Bank, Palestinian, and then to Gazan, but it doesn't work the other way at all. There's no upward mobility. There is only top down. You know what I'm saying? Yep. They got color-coded identification to go with that shit, man. You can't get caught driving or walking on some roads if you're not Jewish. So, <laughs> like, there is, you know, this, this is part of a problem. Um, like, that is, that is literal apartheid, right? <laughs> Well, they definitely dominate the region, um, including the little area of the region that they supposedly gave control over to the other, the Palestinians in Gaza. You know, they supposedly pulled out of that and gave them control. When when the fuck was that? In 08? Uh, but no, you know, they, they still control what happens in there. They still dominate that area. They definitely dominate the West Bank. They definitely dominate, was East Jerusalem, that other little color code that i think you left out there there's there's another level the the, the, the yeah, palestinians in jerusalem they had their about, own id forgetting about jerusalem yeah um so uh yeah they def they definitely dominate um well oppression you know that's you know right there you just you know they they can't work in in certain fields unless they have the right id card so that's definitely keeping them there they oppress their vote and their speech definitely they press their movement um, the only thing left is inhumane actions, man. Um, yeah, so they're... Oh, God, what was I going to say? God damn it. Oh, okay, so they... they, they uh, Damn it. I lost it. Fucking hate that shit. Ugh, fuck me, though, right? Words. Where are they when you need them? <laughs> Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Um, 
when they pulled out, supposedly, what they actually did was they said, okay, we're going to draw a line. And then we're going to come, like, almost a half acre inside that line. And we're going to put up this 12-foot fucking wall. And then we're going to control all the water that comes in and out. <laughs> like, you know, they have total control over, over Gaza. And they don't even recognize these West, the West Bank and Gaza. That's not their names. It's Judea and um, uh, 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 Samaria. They refuse to say the words. Gaza, West Bank, Palestine. I mean, they'll say Gaza, but they refuse to refer to it as Palestine. You got to keep it that is, ancient hatred alive, man. Yeah, man. It's They won't even recognize not only the nation, they won't even recognize the people. They're Sumerians or Judeans. Like, that is, that is, that is fucking disgusting to me. Like, how can you at least not recognize that these are people? You know what I'm saying? It's, this is, a, when, when it happened to them, it wasn't cool. You know what I'm saying? When they had when they couldn't move around their homeland, their country where they were born through accident of birth, you know, they, they couldn't move around without proper passes. They couldn't go into certain areas. Like it happened to them. It happened over here with like the Jim Crow bullshit. Um, you know, and there's a lot of things in this that not only remind me of uh Jewish um people under the occupation of the Third Reich in Germany. But of you know uh, the African Americans here during during Jim Crow and even today, but especially during Jim Crow, you know I see a lot of that, and like that's not me being critical of Jewish people. That's me saying that look, I I know racism because I live here, and what I'm seeing is goddamn systemic racism. You know, it's it that, that exactly what and it's not even race really. It's it's an ideology. It's it, it, it's a political identity, like you know, fucking Nazis. I also see that racism begets racism, um, right here in America. Yeah, yes, there's so many fucking, there's so much racism here against blacks, and it's to the it had gotten to the point that blacks deservedly became racist against white. And not all of them, you know, but it was about the same percentage of of blacks that are racist against white that are of white that are against black. I mean, it's proportional kind of, you know, it's deserve it almost. I mean, they were, tr they were treated horribly. You know, their, their people went through some shit. Um, of course they're going to have some kind of feeling about it. Yeah. They uh, got a legitimate gripe. People learn by example. Uh, the Jews were treated horribly. Yeah. Okay. So they learned how to treat people horribly. It just goes to show that none of this is ever going to change until us adults change it. So our children stop doing it. Well, I mean, my 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 argument is, it's really not. It, it's based around. It's an ideology based around religion. If you take away this group's religion, like this, not just the Israelis, but the, the the whole Arab world, take religion out of the equation. What is the difference between the people? If you take away their if if the religion is removed and is no longer part of the equation, and all this shit of a past identity and all that matter, you know, all, all that old shit, you know, make Israel great again or whatever. You, you take away their religion and you take away that, then what do you have? You just have a bunch of people that live in land, right? You got a bunch of fucking family that's, you know, having a squabble. Yeah. And, and the thing they were squabbling over would be gone. Um, so, and then you have now as, as a part of, you know, the way this apartheid shit works, you have these, like, uh, 
far right wing, and I, I say this because they are almost all these people, um, these settlers, these, these far right wing Zionists that are going into West Bank and setting up, setting up homes. Like the West Bank map keeps getting smaller and smaller, like little holes are being eaten out of it because these settler communities are popping up. And this is, these are like Zion, Zionist extremists that have been funded by the Israeli government, and that's not conspiracy theory, that's fucking facts, to, to go in there and, and set up, you know, places for Jewish people to live. Which so is backed only, by the U.S. government. Right. So not only, yeah, the U.S. said the settlements are okay. <laughs> so not only are, you know, they not allowed to have their own nation, now you got the people who hate them coming in there, and and it led to uh, a few months ago there was the Al Aqsa Mosque, a bunch of settlers, Israeli settlers, extremist Zionists with guns, went in there and fucking raided this fucking Al Aqsa Mosque during prayer, and then these same motherfuckers have the audacity to complain that this supposed Hamas attack on October seventh this year was. Um, you know, just uncalled for and unprecedented. We just didn't see it coming, and it was completely un- unprovoked. But they, because this was Yom Kippur, it was a Jewish holiday. Well, it was an Islamic holiday that the goddamn uh, fucking extremists went in there and invaded the the Muslims during their prayer. So what's the fucking difference? The only difference is, well, we like these brown people more than we like these brown people. So you know, whatever they can settle. Well, fuck that. And that has caused a huge push with country like and people around the world that want to um, use uh, 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 boycotts against Israel to to force Israel to change its policies because that's what we did with South Africa for their apartheid. People just stopped started like you're going to keep doing this. We're going to write you off, and eventually South Africa was forced to change its policies. You know, without military involvement, you know, you just fucking you stop doing business with them. Well, ahead of this current crisis, a few years ago, um, there was this huge push in America and several other nations uh, for what's con- considered called anti-BDS legislation. Uh, what do you know about all this, Mike? Uh, that particular, I, I, first I've heard of that. All right, so... A few years ago, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, um, him and his cabinet came up with this uh, policy that they call the new anti-Semitism. It basically says that anybody who um, uh, uh, criticizes Zionist policies and Israel and whatnot is guilty of anti-Semitism, ipso facto. Uh, This, you know, we've already discussed this. It's bullshit, right? (laughs) That's bullshit. I, I can I can dislike fascists, <laughs> you know. I don't like the Nazis, but Germans don't bother me. Oh yeah, that one you were talking about that the other day. Yep, yeah, um, yeah, that uh, yeah that that goes on earlier. You, you can disagree with somebody, you can criticize somebody, and it doesn't necessarily mean you hate them. And if I don't like somebody's policies or what they're doing, I can boy I can boycott them for what they're doing without having a particular feeling about the person or people themselves like this here this particular example here right now right 
today if somebody decided that they didn't want to import something from Israel because they don't support their actions or the level of response or whatever, I wouldn't call that anti-Semitic. I would call that anti-war. Just because you don't like somebody's actions doesn't mean you dislike them. Right, right. So um, Israel basically has now said, okay, you, you to to boycott Jewish products because uh, or Israeli exports or whatever because of a political because of being opposed to Israel's actions is anti-Semitism. So they started this push for legislation in the U.S. and abroad called anti-BDS legislation, which was wore the face of fighting anti-Semitism. So there's several, there's at least 36 states in the U.S. that basically state that if Israel, if you're a business and Israel exports a, exports a product and they're offering it for sale, you cannot boycott that product based on these grounds. You have to actually sign an agreement not to boycott Israel, um, which is fucking fascist-ass bullshit. Yeah, that's forced commerce. That's fascist as hell. I don't. I do not agree with that. Um, and I would have to check the language myself to bear a true opinion. But if it definitely states that you can't boycott them in any way, that then I I would have to say that's definitely fascist and would be surprising to have gotten that kind of language through. Um. Not wouldn't even bring in Israel. Evangelicals, which run the fucking government, apparently, love Israel. They won't do anything bad for Israel. So all you got to do is throw in anti-Semitism, and everybody who's trying not to look like a Nazi is going to sign a paper without reading the damn thing, yes. And in every state, which includes our own, that has signed that, that is what happened. So... In 2015, oil were discovered. <laughs> oil was discovered off the coast of uh, Israel, and oil was discovered off the coast and underneath Gaza. You can't have them having that. Well, you know, what would be really convenient if we had a whole bunch of oil to sell? If we made it to where people had to buy it from me. I mean... That's that's just capitalism 101, right? Absolutely, mate. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I would use the same kind of rules. In fact, I have an idea that we have discussed that uses said kind of rules. Yeah, yeah. So, now you that that bearing in mind, um Israel is protected by what they call the Iron Dome. Mike, do you have you want to give some details on the Iron Dome? Oh, the U.S. Patriot missile system that completely protects you know everything coming in and out of Israel's airspace. Mike, if I were to fly a paper plane over the border of Israel, what would happen to it? <laughs> it probably would never touch the ground. <laughs> so on October seventh, the most military, most most militarized country in the world with the heaviest intelligence and the most impenetrable defense system the world has ever seen. Especially the airspace. Decides to hold a music festival near the Palestinian border. It was the, Pal or the Jordanian border. 
Um, it was close, closer to the Lebanese border. It was uh, up there on what the, 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 the Northern part of the Gaza strip is still under the Palestinian authority. It was close to that area is what I thought. Something like that. Now this whole area, um, well, a, a, a bunch of terrorists show up and just start fucking killing the shit out of everybody. Right. For six fucking hours. Six hours. Now, how did they get there? (laughs) Israel is roughly the size of Jersey, maybe? Not even. Smaller than Jersey, right? We're, We're talking like slightly larger than Rhode Island, right? Yeah, it's pretty damn small. It, it's it's the size. It's smaller than one of our small. Not the smallest state, sure. but it's it's smaller than small as one of our smallest states up there. It's it's pretty damn small. Six hours during which people Hamas supposedly was flying over the border in little fucking like hang glider craft, like you know some shit you'd make on a video game. You know, it looked like some shit we'd make in Scrap scrap Mechanic. Just flying over the border and doing all kinds of shit. You know, all of a sudden, their Iron Iron Dome's down. And wouldn't you know it, something that you couldn't, during fucking height of traffic on a Monday, you couldn't take more than two hours to get from one end to the other. It took six hours for the military, which is never six hours away in Israel. You're never more than a couple of buildings away from a fucking military outpost. So it took six hours <laughs> for them to get there and stop this. That it, during At the end of which, there were like 200 captives and 1,400 dead. A, a, a heavy toll. Um, when compared by uh, population density, it is roughly equivalent to, I believe it was 20 of 9-11, of 9/11 deaths. So it was, it was the U.S. 9-11s times 20, apparently, you know, adjusted for uh, population density, if you get my drift. It's the it's now labeled as the worst atrocity to happen against the Jewish people since the Holocaust. You know who put out that, that headline? Uh, the Jews. Uh, well, the Israelis. The Israelis, Mike. Well, they are then, aren't they? Same. I mean, there are Jews in America that are not Israeli. See, see, see. <laughs> like, yes, they well, they were Jewish people, but <laughs> it was Israel that put out that statement. Um, yeah, Al Jazeera had a little bit of fun with it. Actually, it was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, they started pointing to all these other wars and attacks that Israel had been through since, like, just since, like, 1948. And they're like, I mean, it is the biggest one from this group, but it's by far not the largest, you know, attack against Jews. But that is irrelevant, honestly. The size of it is irrelevant. It was an atrocious act. If it was Hamas that carried it out, which is what the narrative is, you know, that's all I have to go on. Uh, Okay. I, I feel like it, it seems more like a 9-11 was an inside job type thing, but this one seems like it might have actually been, you know, there, there's a little bit more leaning towards that. Um, 
yeah, uh, <laughs> the propaganda with this has been crazy. Um, they immediately put out, the Israelis immediately put out reports that babies were being beheaded by these Hamas um, attackers on October 7th, and that turned out to be false. Uh, there were no beheaded babies. Yeah, too bad um, our president didn't bother to fact check that before he started pre preaching it over here. Well, you bring that up, so let's let's get into it. I at first was hoping that Biden would get there and start ripping Netanyahu a new asshole. But then I started thinking about it, and this was before he ever landed. I started thinking about this. I was actually watching the reports about the hospital bombing, which we'll also talk about. But I was... Uh, he anyway, I was thinking that you know maybe he'll do something, but I was thinking, I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, if he does anything negative, if he says one cross word to about Israel's actions, Trump we'll lose the election. Wins. Trump wins. Trump, walks in. Trump gets the White House. Now I'm thinking there could be a possibility if Biden retains office that we see a reversal because some of his some of the things he says. He sounds like he's warning them, right? He's like, we have your back. Do not let this become such and such, you know? But he, he's, he's saying things and saying other things that seem to contradict. But I'm thinking he's trying to let it be known that, look, I, you, you know, I can't really do anything. But don't fucking... Don't but make our actions are definitely not on that. Our actions are, yeah, we got your back no matter what. And... In, including up to threatening other nations, you know, hey, you know, don't don't do nothing or yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. But again, if he doesn't, if he doesn't, Trump gets the White House. Then on that, Biden, you, you, this how, how deep his support still has to be with Israel is that uh, he never even reversed the fucking Trump decision to move the embassy and recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Um. Would have been one of the first things he probably should have done to restore the 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 the, the quo over there. It would be to move the Israel back to Tel Aviv like everybody else. Well, I mean, you got to think that during during Trump's reign, there was this huge rise of anti-Semitism, and they used that. I think, man, um, you know, they they they're guilt tripping everybody about the anti-Semitism. So it, it kind of gives them a free pass. <laughs> and, you know, they, they know our election cycles. You know, they know that America is basically um, helpless during this particular time. You know what I mean? Nobody can really do anything. So if there was ever a time to, to do something like this, it's now when America can't change its course. You know, in a couple of years, maybe something dif different. But as it stands right now, America can't do anything unless we for sure want Trump back. Yeah, and we definitely don't want that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's gotten so freaking deep, though. We've got an aircraft carrier strike force sitting over there. We've got China moving a, a naval strike force right in the same damned area. You've got freaking Jordan threatening to jump in, into it. You've got freaking uh, Hezbollah up in Lebanon. You've got another freaking group down in Yemen that's already been launching missiles and shit. This whole region is primed to pop. 
And our guys are sending more force over there to support Israel in this. And the rest of the region over there is supporting Palestine. Yep. Now, let's pause at this particular point in the narrative because we still haven't gotten to the last part of uh, showing apartheid over in that part. And yeah, we're still in somewhat of the current era of this entire conflict. So we might as well bring up some let's jump to the other side of the fence just a little bit, because it kind of sounds like we've been ragging on Israel and, you know, it's it's right to exist and, and stuff. Um, let's kind of take it for a minute to the other side and try to get that perspective that you know, oh, yeah. they've had the state handed to them. It was created there. And, yeah, that's the position that we're in now. We've gone through this whole thing that it was, you know, done in the the mandate back in you know, the the early twenties, and you know the two state draw with the UN resolutions in forty seven, and then the six day war when the borders got moved again, and then again after you know, in two thousand when you know, the the whole UN and Israel tried to come up with saying, all right, we can move the borders here and giving you yeah, a little bit of your your borders back, but you know, that's the end of it, and it was rejected as well. And then Israel all, again in two thousand eight said, hey, look, you you've got an election, you know, you've got your own rule, we're going to back out, and yeah. You know, so on paper, Israel's been trying to have peace there since their creation. You know, for the last 70 years and you know so what has it been has it been 70 years of occupation or is it has has it been 70 years of trying to survive and actually have your nation recognized so from that side you know what has israel been done to show their their side of peace nothing they've never they've never that's that, that's been the whole thing like the, the they they could have lived peacefully side by side, you know, in their own nation, be it occupied or however they got it, they got it. They could have done that, but settlers and then fucking, you know, treating the, 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 the apartheid and, and, uh, you know, this rejecting their concepts of, you know, look, I, can, I have a hard time looking at it from the Israeli perspective because, you know, it's, it, it's, it's foreign and familiar, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like I none I I've seen that type of logic before, and if if they want to exist in a peaceful place and be peaceful, they could have done that. They could have made that choice, but they have instead bullied, oppressed, and 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 stepped on you know the people that they're supposed to be trying to get along with. So to the point now they argue, well, what is Israel to do? Does Israel not have the right to defend itself as a nation? Absolutely, it does. But so does Palestine who they refuse to even recognize as a state, you know? So they they have the right to, to defend themselves. They have the right to exist, but so do the other people. Their right does not supersede the others, you know? Well, both sides you know? of this particular conflict refuse to acknowledge each other. Now, I, I get it that everybody's, you know, it, it, it's not Palestine at war with Israel. It's, you know, Hamas. Well, I have to point to the election and say, hey, the Palestinian people there voted Hamas in. And I've not seen any news popping off about, hey, the Palestinian people protesting against Hamas and trying to root Hamas out of their lands or anything along those lines. I mean, in fact, everything that I've seen points to the Palestinian people still supporting Hamas, you know, by the uh, a majority, not all of them, but a majority, in, at least in that area. 
All right, so let's 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 bring it to a, a hypothetical here at home, then, right? So let's say it's it's nineteen sixties America. Uh, segregation is still going on, and you have the Black Panther Party, right? And kind of they're a militant, somewhat extremist party. But you have the Black Panther Party. Now, say that the U.S. decided, all right, fine. You know, uh, you guys in the South can make your own own law, and we'll do things different elsewhere. You know, um, let's let's say that happened, and there was an election, and one of the people in the election was, say, Huey uh, Huey Newton, the founder of uh, one of the founders of the Black Panther Party. Right. So in the South during this time, the majority of the population is black, you know, African-Americans, you know, even in these like heavily segregated areas, the majority of the population was still black. Right. So what, what would have happened? You would have had the extremist side win the election, right? The, the people, the majority of people have been oppressed by these people for so fucking long. They finally get a voice and somebody is in that voice that recognizes how they feel. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're, we, we want our own fucking, no, you ain't, we're, we're going to stand with the people who fight for us. That's, that, that's how I feel that, you know, that, that, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, deba- I'm not debating the, that the Palestinians, you know, have something to stand for behind in Hamas. I'm, I'm not trying to say that there's anything illegitimate there. I was just saying that, you know, people are distinctly separating this to being a war between Israel and Hamas. Well, like I said, the Palestinians voted Hamas in. To, to me, to me, it's Palestinian. Hamas is Palestine. I mean, I know they're basically largely Lebanese based, and but like I said, if well, the, if the people support it, then I I have a hard time separating it. Well, right, right. It, they come. They're they're multinational, really. But it, it, it's basically an Islamic. It, it's an Islamic form of Zionism. You know, basically, you know, saying they're basically like Israel, except they're the Islamic side. Um, and and I, I, I get that reaction. But here's the thing. Israel has no right to complain. Israel has nothing to say. If they say, look, all right, you're your own nation. You can have your own votes. What the fuck ever, which they never did. But they, you can do that. You can have your own votes. You can vote who, who you want in. You can have office. And the, the country that you just gave the right to vote. Vote someone you don't like, tough titty. You know, that's just the way the goddamn world works. Well, the problem I see is, is there hasn't been an election there since. So I am unsure, and it's because of ignorance. I, I haven't been able to dig into the entire history of Hamas and all that completely. And, you know, the, the news that gets over here is, you know, well, completely untrustworthy. So, so. Because Palestinians are no longer allowed to vote. But is that by, well... That it, Hamas won the vote. Is, is it Hamas that stopped them from being able to vote, or nope, it's Israel? Well, see, that's the part of it that uh, I, I'm missed on. That is, you know, how would Israel do Israel that if still they got occupies to it? Like Israel still has everything pretty well locked down. Um, so, like they they can't like there's you know you get too many Palestinians like hanging out trying to run an election. You don't invade no. something you've already occupied, mate. Well, yeah, that's the thing. That 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 that's another thing I was going to come to is Israel isn't defending itself; it's occupying. They, they, they like even the UN 
calls uh, those areas occupied Palestine. So they are occupying the area, regardless of what they say. They are occupying the area. The military runs everything there. They are under military rule, which is not the case for Israelis. It is only the case for Palestinians. Like I said, that whole thing of them backing up and saying, y'all can do what you want. Well, once they elected Hamas in, they were like, well, never mind. You can't do what you want. And just went back to the way things always were. They never really left, man. They never left. They just said, all right, and just stayed there. They started building the wall after that, though. Yeah, they started building the wall at the same time when they said they backed out. They walled it off, and you know, as far as the paper shows, is that you know Hamas gave the you know got won the election, and you know they Hamas is the one that says that, you know there haven't been any elections in there since, and even Hamas was fighting against Palestine, the Palestinian Authority, because the Palestinian Authority didn't recognize the election. They they said it was rigged. Um, I don't know that particular election system is way more convoluted than ours. And yeah, I can't make sense of our shit, but, um, so it kind of became its own little separate nation state of itself in its own way. So there's basically Palestine, Gaza, and Israel. Um, so because the Palestinian authority doesn't recognize it. So you got three different entities there, but the Palestinians in Gaza voted well, the Palestinians voted for Hamas, and then, you know, the people split at that point. And it's been muddied from there because, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a bunch of nonsense. Who's fighting where, the, what stories are true, who invaded what first, who fired the first shot to break this particular piece. It's, it's, you can't make sense of none of it. So you want to talk about the hospital? That's one of the things you can't make sense of. Sure enough, there's so much fucking propaganda. Um, but the thing is that sitting there following the propaganda and where it seems to be coming from, I, I tend to lean away from the Israeli narrative, right? Like, I'm fairly certain that, you know, the people who were there on the ground knew what they saw and knew what they heard. And, you know, yeah. Well, there's video of it. It definitely wasn't what the Israeli folks say it was, was a failed rocket falling from the sky and exploding on the hospital because uh, nah, man, falling rockets don't whistle. whistle. Yeah, you heard that whistle. <laughs> that fucking whistle, bro. Because they actually, I actually watched several videos of these rockets that the Hamas are using. And they sound like sparklers, kind of. You know, maybe bottle rockets. But yeah. they, don't have, they don't sound like that whistle. They don't have that whistle. <laughs> well, um, I can't say that, you know, I would base that on pictures you see of what Hamas uses, you know, cause there, there's some reports and I'm pretty sure that they're getting some modern shit that, you know, the United States left behind in Afghanistan. I'm pretty sure some of that's already made its way into Hamas hands. I don't know, but it certainly made its way into Hezbollah. So it's possible. Yeah, yeah, there's there's already been photos. Motherfuckers using M4 rifles and fucking uh, 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 some shoulder mounted uh, 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 rocket launchers that you know, they wouldn't have normally had. But yeah, the the Israelis like they had already bombed this. They bombed like I think it was something like uh, God, I was looking at the numbers last night. Multiple hospitals have been bombed. Um, but they had already bombed this one once, and it hadn't done a lot of damage. 
And the Israeli Defense Force actually called the hospital and was like, you know, y'all got to evacuate. And then they got bombed. <laughs> Which, you know, and, you know uh, part of the UN's thing about war crimes with targeting infrastructure being inhumane and war crimes and stuff about power and water and all that stuff, I disagree with. But hospitals, you know, I fully agree with. You should never have to tell a fucking hospital you got to evacuate. Avoid targeting a fucking hospital. Even if it's a safe haven of your enemy, don't fucking yeah. blow up a damn yeah. hospital. Drop in, some, drop in some goddamn paratroopers. Surround the fucking place and, you know, just, you know, tell them to come out and, you know, bring your wounded out and we'll fucking, you know, feed and clothe them or whatever, you know, make, no, you know, you have none of that. Yeah. I, I, none of this shit. Bombing a hospital. That's no, that, that I classify as fucking inhumane and I'm an asshole. Which would absolutely check the last box for apartheid. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt that what's going on is ethnic cleansing by any definition. Except the Israeli definition. Who you would think would be experts on ethnic cleansings and what have you. Yeah, you'd figure that would be a lesson that'd stick around for more than a generation. No, they doggedly pursued Nazis so they could probably interrogate them and learn how they did it. Which kind of brings it up. Are they fascist? Shit. Yeah, we know we know they practice apartheid. Yeah. Right. So I was just coming to that after this death. <laughs> so we got what fascism's what? It's the a sense of you know, a, a national importance. Um you gotta have yourself some a mythical past. Uh it, all exclusive right, use of propaganda for fear mongering. You know, you got to have the, you know, the enemies coming after you, which means you have to have a friend to enemy distinction. You know, the, which, you know, good and evil, bad, you know, versus good kind of stuff. So got to be there. Um, and what, what is it? You know, it's, uh, one got, people, one group of people right. over another. Yeah. So you got, all right. Not necessarily no, race. Not necessarily, no. Knight uh, was an Italian philosopher who grew up during the years of Mussolini in Italy. In June of 95, he published an article in the New York Review of Books about fascism. Uh, he, in the article, he outlined a list of features that are typical of what he called eternal fascism or ur-fascism. He allowed that fascism in different countries takes on different combinations of these characteristics and may not have all of them. Yet he argued the presence of even one of these characteristics could serve as a seed for fascism to grow anywhere. One, the cult or tradition. This is the belief that the truth is already known once and for all. A fascist believed there is no need to advance in learning. All right, let's compare that with Israel and Zionism. Well, they're definitely religious based, and you know they believe that their you know, particular you know sect of that religion is the absolute truth from God, even not necessarily just truth, but it was ordained. Yeah. So yeah, we got that. All right. Which also will cover the rejection of, of modernity, right? Uh, fastest reject enlightenment and it's evidence-based rationality. And that, that also, I would tie that in with their religious, you know, concepts as well. And their mythical past. 
Uh, fascist leaders act impulsively. This is the third one. Without thinking or planning ahead. I literally heard Benjamin Netanyahu say, I don't know what comes after. <laughs> I only know that we're going to wipe Hamas off the face of the earth. And Hamas, he equates apparently to the Palestinian people. So what he's actually saying is we're going to wipe the Palestinian people off the face of the earth. And he has no thinking ahead on what is next. So, yeah, check there. Uh, no, uh, number four, no analytical criticism. Fascists ignore nuance and see any disagreement as treasonous. In Israel state, they would see any disagreement as anti-Semitism, but I think it still applies. I agree. Uh, fear of difference. Fascists fear diversity. Thus, they are racist by definition. Of course, religious and ethno groups like that, you know. But yeah, yeah, I would say so. They are terrified of the Palestinian people. They, I've even heard, I heard several uh, debates where people say, well, what happens if the Palestinians get it back and there is no more nation of Israel? What will it be like to be an Israeli living in Palestine? Well, you know, who thought about that? Obsession with a plot. Oh, wait, I skipped one. Number six, appeal to a frustrated middle class. Um, I'm not sure on that one. You know, I, um, could you possibly on that particular definition instead of re replace middle class um, with the religious side of it? Uh, so in, the instead, religious right. Yeah. So in, instead of it being a uh, economic deal uh, push on that, it would be a religious push. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting concept. It's something I can think about too. You know, I, I'm not. I, I think you should, could be able to. Because, I mean, because you know, yeah, Christianity is you know, on the decline worldwide, and in that area, it is definitely a minority position, um, which would kind of put it in a middle class position if you put religion on an economic scale. Yeah, yeah, I would see that. Um, that's number seven: obsession with the plot. The followers must be made to feel besieged. An eternal enemy is provided. Immigrants, Muslims, Hispanics, Blacks, etc., etc. Um, yeah. Well, you yeah, got that got, biblical yeah. and historical. Yeah. And, and current. Um, number eight, anti-elitism. The followers are made to feel humiliated by the wealth and strength of the educated elite to create resentment. I, I don't, they, they, they do, they put themselves not so much humiliated by wealth and strength, but you know they've been they're they're an oppressed people, right? They're the 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 Jew the the, the Jewish victim thing. You know yeah, what I'm saying? I don't know. They would definitely call uh, their core religion is based on faith opposed to knowledge, and and definitely calls people that seek knowledge fools. So I would say that they're definitely fearful of people in a more knowledgeable position than they are. Yeah. All right. Uh, number nine, fascism is trafficking with the enemy. I mean, pacifism is trafficking with the enemy. Fascists believe that life is permanent warfare. Therefore, a desire for peace is treasonous. I have literally heard people saying that people crying out for a ceasefire are anti-Semitic. Now, it's, a, it's not a huge thing, but it is being said. So, Well, the fact that both sides fail to acknowledge the other. And so... It's kind of hard to, to go for peace on that. 
We got the uh, Cult of Heroism. Fastest is eager to die a hero's death. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean they're they're pretty fired up about it. I sent uh, I don't know, but Mike, did you ever watch that video of that old man? Yeah, yeah, and I've I've since seen other videos with people in like places of power in the government saying very similar stuff. Basically, that they need to wipe out Palestinians. Yeah. Um, it, I'm seeing this more as a, a a religious difference, but you know, back when we did our little Bible thing and religious thing, we we already found, and on fascism that we did on that, we've already declared that you know religion is fascism, just you know with a a different cloak. And though it might be hard to put you know, Israel as fascist, we can definitely put them as a religious nation, a theocracy. And so, yeah, I think we're going to conclude that they're pretty much fascist, mate. They seem to be checking all the boxes. Did I lose you over there? Oh yeah, sorry. I was pressing the wrong button. No, I was. Uh, I th- I agree with you. It's they're fashy, and um, I was looking at a picture of the Rafa border crossing, and there it's it's in occupied. It's in the it's in Gaza, right? So it shouldn't have you know a bunch of like uh, uh, stars of David, like stone stars of David around the top, and I was just pick looking at the picture of it 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 looks exactly how the nazis decorated their shit with swastikas you, you know it's like this this concrete square with all these fucking stars of david like embossed around the top of it it looks just like if, if you changed it to a swastika i would tell you it was in hitler's germany it <laughs> and i know it's just architecture but i mean it it, it says something you know what i'm saying like they they even look it. They're even starting to look the part. Yeah, but border crossing down there has befuddled me. Yeah. Why in the world did they keep control of the fucking southern border that's, what? what is it, a hundred fucking yards wide? Why didn't they just leave that border at Gaza to Egypt? Yeah, and here's another thing that pissed me off very early on in this conflict, and I said it was going to happen before it did. They were forcing the 1.1 million people in the North Gaza to move to the South. And I said that day, I said, they are going to wait a couple of days and bomb the shit out of the South. And what happened two days later? They bombed the shit out of Southern Gaza. I mean, bombed the ever-loving hell out of it. To the point that the border is no longer cross, crossable. And far as people getting on an airport and leaving, there used to be an airport in Gaza. And Israel destroyed it in 2001. So the only way out of this prison that Israel built for the people of Gaza is through a border crossing that they have bombed the shit out of. Or by boat, which, you know, yeah, who the hell wants to do that out in the fucking ocean? And you know, who the hell knows where the bomb's going to go? The, the Israelis have them blockaded by sea, man. They have fucking ships out there. You ain't leaving, but you ain't staying. That only leaves one option. You dying. 
Well, he did say he was going to eradicate them. And they have dropped more bombs in two weeks than America dropped in a year in Afghanistan. It is just the put that in perspective. Bombing, yeah, it is the heaviest bombing campaign. Uh, it was over 6,000 bombs in just over six days. Yeah, that's that's World War II level bombing. That is beyond World War II bombing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we were dropping that much a, a day at some points. In- yeah, but these these bombs are above and beyond. You know, these aren't the these aren't the same bombs. These these are much much stronger, much more powerful, and in a much more densely populated area. Exactly. Which so I guess kind of yeah. push pushes the limit. Is is, is that inhumane? I would think so. When you tell somebody to move to the room, you're, you you have a group of people that you don't like, and you got them walled in an area to keep them separated from your part of the population. They're starving them. They're dying of dehydration, disease. They have no access to medical care or electricity. And you tell them to move into a smaller section, a little area, and then, well, you burn them to death. Now, who else did that? Who... Who the fuck else did that? Oh, that's right. It was the fucking Nazis. And they did it to the Jews. They put them in fucking gas chambers and they killed them. This is essentially what they did to the people in southern Gaza. They moved everybody. They told everybody in northern Gaza to go to the south. They bombed the hell out of the south. So everybody that was going just turned the fuck around. You know, they're like, what the fuck are we supposed to do? If I'm going to die, let me at least die at home. You know, so that's that's what's going on there now, folks. It's fucking, it's bullshit. It's concentration camp style fucking genocide. It's it's bullshit. Sure, the Israelis had a right to defend themselves, and if they stay in their own goddamn borders, they can do that. But they won't. <laughs> they fucking won't. And I, love I don't. This. <laughs> what? A hundred miles away, fucking completely unscripted. I asked you that little question and you use the exact fucking example that I was going to lead with to it, to, to support it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. You take yeah. one group of people and you move them to a specific location and then you destroy that location or you kill the people that are now in that location. That's been done in history before. Where was that? And you just, yep. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except there's, there's not even a dream of hope. The Nazis at least put up a friendly sign at the entrance to Auschwitz. Work makes you free. Um, the yeah, where's the of promise Gaza, of freedom for fucking Gaza? There is none. You know, and that's that's what they learned from the Nazis, that, you know, there can be no hope. And so, on that note, um, I think we're pretty, we're, we're pretty well caught up. Uh, well, there'll be, I'm sure there'll be updates. As is the as of this recording, Israel has yet to begin its impending ground invasion. But you know, it's a moot point really when they do. It's they they don't never have to. I wouldn't be surprised if they if I got out, got done recording, turned on the news, and found out that you know Gaza had been mysteriously nuked. I wouldn't be surprised in the least. No, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Of course, you know, with the the tension that's currently over there, with what is it now? One, two, hell, shit, yeah, one, two. The rest of the world, yeah. I'm just how many freaking nations are actually there with munitions? 
not just, you know, threatening shit or talking about shit or having feelings. I'm talking about actually there with the power to destroy shit. So you, All of them. <laughs> fucking hell, man. And you, you, you can't even say that, well, they're shooting missiles in, in, into Israel because, you know, fucking Syria hadn't done a goddamn thing. And, and fucking Israel launched them, destroyed two airports. Um, but you know, what the hell did Yemen have to do with anything? Launching fucking missiles over at fucking, you know, U S destroyers and you know, who the hell's fucking launching damn missiles at U S bases and over in Iraq, uh, who's trying to start the freaking war here. Cause this, this skirmish is getting ready to pop off. If we ain't careful into an actual world war, somebody wants it. One particular group over the other wants this shit more than anybody else. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I was actually going to play a little game with you today. Uh, I was thinking about it yesterday. I was like, you know, I was going to have a thing where I was going to say, let's make a bet on uh, whether or not you're going to see a bunch of Christians, like Christian subgroups committing mass suicide because of the armies of the world surrounding the nation of Israel and all that revelation shit. And I'm watching TV last night, and I found out that there's this Christian group in Kenya who has done just that. So it's not fun anymore. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we're going to have to wait too long for that. Yeah, I guess <laughs> nope, somebody already beats to us. I've been watching a lot of, like, John Hagee and shit, too, seeing what the evangelicals are saying. And it's exactly what I thought. This is it. This is it, folks. <laughs> it's always it. It was it the last three times. It's never not been it. There's not been one period in history since that stupid fucking book got wrote, the Book of Revelations, since some fucking epileptic madman scrawled this out in exile and fucking what I assume was rat feces on a, on a fucking stone wall. Since he wrote this shit out, there's never been a time that it hasn't been coming. It's always here. It's always now. Every world leader is always the Antichrist. It, it, I mean, come the fuck on. Get over this shit. But honestly, I hope they're right. I hope they're fucking right. I hope that God and Moses and Mo Jesus, Moses and Muhammad all come down and take their faithful with them. Just go. Just fucking be gone. Let me live in this period of tribulation without you. I'd be cool with that. You know, maybe we could have peace, not only in the Middle East, but everywhere else. You know, maybe, maybe we could start looking at some shit. It's like we could just look around at each other like, well, what now? You know, <laughs> we were wrong and we can move on and, well, fuck that shit. It's nice now. Well, Moses, Muhammad, and whoever the Messiah of the chosen people is actually going to be whenever he decides to show up. Yeah, I, I, I really hope they do show up and take their people with them. Um, Jesus, he, 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 he never showed up. He's 2,700 years too late. You hear that, Grandpa? Me and you want the same thing for Jesus to come back and for you to be lifted up into heaven. <laughs> no, the Jesus one's already been, you know, his time's come and gone. He told his people that he would be back in their lifetime, and well, that didn't happen. Well, then you get into all the subtle nuances that they try to fucking justify with. <laughs> when, yeah, the apologetics crowd, yeah. <laughs> But it don't matter which math you use or whose time scale of, of lifespans you use. Um, he, he, he's late. He didn't show up in, in those people's lifetime and when he said he would.
So that one's yeah. done and gone. Muhammad still might have a chance. I, I don't recall him actually giving a timeline. Um, and the Messiah for the, the, the chosen group, he hasn't showed himself yet. So that one's still up in the air. You know, it's kind of hard to have a prophecy without an end date. Well, actually, that's the only way a smart person would have a prophecy. Um, you know, John the Revelator, he, uh, he he didn't actually put all the, all the stuff that they attribute to an end time comes from like the earlier Gospels. John the Revelator just said that there would be all kinds of different signs and stuff. And he just talked about random shit that was going on at the time. But he like... He was most most people think he was actually talking about like Roman rule and Nero and whatnot, and it, it was mostly just gobbledygook and babble, you know, like Alex Jones type shit. Man, really, if you want to talk about you know people of that time writing about the end of the world, their world ended. That lifestyle is gone. The empires of the day are long since for fucking you know only in the annals of history do they exist. So, yeah, their world's ended. That 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 Armageddon's come and gone. Well, actually, most theocratic um, states tend to lock themselves in the time in which they were started, right? Um, so you got, for instance, most of like your 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 hardcore uh, Muslim countries. You know, the, those theocracies. They they pretty much live as they did when you know the Prophet Muhammad came. Um, your your Mennonites and your Amish people over here, they live pretty much as they did when their religion began. And it could be argued that they're a theocratic type of system, right? So, um, like, and, and, and you see this kind of in uh, a through line with, with them, is they stay pretty much in that tradition from the time in which the religion that is ruling was founded. So, yeah, it, it the, the modern world doesn't really have a bearing on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, the, those times and those people like that their time ended but for the people the, the 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 extremists the hardcore believers it, they don't uh it's in islam it's actually considered a sin to try and modernize the quran or to uh, change they call it innovation within religion and they say that that's you know one of the reasons muhammad had his message was because of all the innovations in religion since the original message so it's forbidden actually to progress your society, which is run by this religion, any further than when the religion was founded. And that's uh, not it's it's kind of hard to progress a society past that point when you're always warring and destroying your society. There's that. And like I said, you look at how the, the, the family system is in, say, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, right? A woman could be stoned to death if she's caught driving, you know? That, that that still is very indicative of the time in which the religion was formed in the area that it was formed in, you know, and uh, uh, they they hold that to their religious belief, you know, they they do that because of their religion. So when a when religion rules, it it pretty much locks itself in. Well, I'm not talking when I said the world ending. I wasn't talking about like an ideal something that could be brought back from paper to you know existence i was referring more toward like you know the byzantine empire you know when when that shit got wiped out their world ended you know the people still existed they still had their ideals their beliefs and their way of life that spread out and got absorbed into everything else around them but their right, world right right we still see it in, in like the caliphate governments and whatnot we still see pieces of that you know 
Yeah, that that but that's the level of world ending that I was getting to. Their Armageddon had happened, you know, a different people group of people afterwards getting back in saying, "Hey, we we found some books and some papers and some writings of stories long past. We can live by this. That that's that's a resurrection um, of, of a way of life and you know, a new world that's based on the same old ideals, but the world that was written about their their Armageddon came and gone, you know. Uh, Babylon, you know, their world ended. You know, Canaan, their world ended. You know, that that level of world ending it happens all the time, and you know, it can easily be written about as an Armageddon of a people, or you know, but as a whole world, you're stretching it there. Yeah, yeah, but then again, maybe they were right. Maybe this war in Israel does actually lead to the literal destruction of the world. It's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not. I mean, I mean, self fulfilling prophecies are easy to make and, and to make happen. <laughs> yeah, thank you for. I was going there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty easy when you live in a place that you know let's say earth that you know has you know constant wars like earth to write a story thinking that hey we're going to destroy ourselves and it, you know to let us know that the end of it is there's going to be a big fucking war no shit i mean because that's what's always happened i mean like we've always been at war like uh i was watching I forget what, but Jane Goodall, when she was studying uh, uh, groups of chimps, like, uh, a, a I think they're called troops, um, it'll grow to a certain point, and then they'll divide, right? And then, like, um, once there's a new, um, like, alpha of the group, that alpha will go seek, it will take several of the chimps to the split-off group, and they'll fight it out, you know? And that's, I mean, so that's inherent in who we are as a species. It's inherent in our primate DNA. It's what we do. I, I would like to live in a world where we've moved beyond that. Um, but it doesn't sadly seem like that's going to happen in, in my lifetime. So, you know, I'll just smoke pot about it. Well, how long did it take for us to develop reason and... Yeah, how long is it going to take for us to use reason to develop our next stage of evolution? Or have we completely stunted our evolution by our own arrogance and technology? Facts. Because we're nothing more than animals. I started that off with that. Anybody that thinks anything different is completely arrogant amongst themselves to a point of credulity and if you're doing it on a biblical stance then I will, you, I will it's actually, written in there that we're animals too i will actually give a person who doesn't believe that we are descended from primates a bit of benefit of doubt until they have been informed of the facts now once they have been informed of the situation and then choose to disregard the 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 clear evidence and proof and you know the the, 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 the once they choose to reject that then then I have some disdain. Then I find them to be willfully ignorant. But to have not been told, I can understand. I mean, there's places like Texas where it's, you know, kind of illegal. So, yeah. 
I don't but, think you need anybody to tell you that we're an animal. Um, that 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 has always befuddled me. To, no, it to, takes somebody telling you that you're not. Right, and to set for somebody to tell you that you're not, to me requires a a, a special kind of lack of self awareness to even contemplate the possibility of me, anybody being less than an animal or more than an animal. I mean, we, we, we have the exact same characteristics as every other fucking animal than anybody, including a damn te- backwater Texan is going to have access to seeing. We have two eyes. We have a mouth. We eat, we shit, we sleep, you know, we bleed, we breathe, you know, all this stuff, you know, what would make us different? The fact that we can speak, um, animals make noises, they communicate, so that ain't it. Um, the fact that we feel pain, well, animals feel pain. They're just better at hiding it than we are. Uh, or is it the fact that we just build shit? Well, animals build shit. Not many of them, but there are animals that build shit. You know, look at a fucking beaver. Um, you know, foxes dig burrows. If that ain't building, I don't know what it is. Digging a hole underground, but it's making a home out of something that wasn't a home before. Um, we use tools. Uh, Plenty of animals use tools. You know, they you stick a stick in the ground to pull termites out. That's using a fucking tool. Throw a yeah, stick up I in the air to knock something out. That's using a fucking tool. Yeah, I saw this thing about a, a, a fish that will like throw rocks at like a clam or some sort of like oyster or some shit, some sort of like shelled creature on the bottom. But it will it'll sit there and like just throw fucking rocks at it until it breaks it, <laughs> you know, and it's that's that's tool use. Like, that's yeah. a fucking fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Somebody might not know about those specific little tiny things, but to say that there's enough difference between us and your dog sitting in your fucking living room to think that we're different from an animal, what the, where the, where the hell have you been living? What rock are you under? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you look at a dog in its eyes and you, you feel a kinship with it, kind of, you know, just like you would with a person. And you don't get that when you look at it. Well, I mean, maybe some people do when they look at like, you know, bacteria or something like that. You know, but yeah, you you look at a mammal and the way we react to mammals versus other animals historically anyway. And like some of that's changing. But we've always been fond of mammals. We've always kept mammals as some kind of pet. We've always enjoyed mammals. And we've always feared snakes and insects and shit like that. You know, logical reasons, sure. But like I said, it's, you know, we, we, we recognize that on some level, you know, you can't look at chimpanzees in a zoo and then look at the other people looking at the chimpanzees and not see the similarities. Like it's, it's so obvious. So yeah, to put us on a pedestal to think that we're going to do anything different, (coughs) we're going to act like animals. We're going to be territorial. We're going to be tribal. We're going to be familiar, familial. You know, family, family structured. Uh, I think familial is it. Yeah. Um, we're going to fight over resources. We're going to tend to our own, but we are social. So when there's plenty to go around, we don't fight over resources. We share them. You know, we try to help each other out unless it supersedes the, the first two. You got to look out for yourself. You know, my survival over your survival kind of a thing. I can't help you if I can't help myself. I can't share my food if I can't eat. I can't share my tree if I don't have a branch to sit on. It's rooted all the way down into primal territory dispute and resource. Do I live or do you live? That's the root of it all. And 
but like I said, we're social. So if there's plenty for me to live, I don't mind sharing. It's when it gets tight, when, when there's not enough for me to live, that's, that's when I, it ain't just me, but that's, that's when the focus shifts toward self-preservation. There's not enough to go around. So we got to fight about it because you have the same view. You want to live, you want to survive. There's one fucking, there, there's one apple. We're both hungry. You know, do we share that? There's no other one in sight. If we share it, we both might die before we find another fucking apple. And that's the fear of it. The fear of death. So we're, we're going to fight over that fucking apple. <laughs> the same as any fucking other animal would, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can dig it, man. <laughs> um, so, um, I hope, uh, the three of you that are still listening, uh, have enjoyed our, break into the new season again we were going to do donald trump but this seemed more pressing and i did more research already than i had done on trump that's not to say i haven't been learning a lot about donald trump and boy let me tell you i've learned a lot about donald trump (laughs) and uh at the same time i've learned nothing new (laughs) like everything i've learned i'm like yeah yeah that tracks that yeah yeah that figures yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> so yeah, That's we definitely be... want to be digging deep into the Don Father. <laughs> oh God, Emperor of the United States, DJ Trump, the uh, Messiah of the New Millennium. Yeah, if Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, then Donald Trump is the Messiah of America. That is not actually my quote. That is from Pastor Shane Vaughn. And uh, if you want to have some fun before uh, we get digging into Donald Trump, look look him up. Watch his, watch some of his videos. Uh, they're, they're entertaining. You know um, that leads more credit to the Mormons thinking that the fucking Garden of Eden was down here in fucking, what was it, Arkansas, Missouri, some one of these fucking southern states? Yep. It was Missouri. which they're banned from, you know, (laughs) one day we're going to do full on Mormonism. I mean, we kind of already did, but that was like an episode of, um, South Park, man. Yeah. Skeeter's bar talk. Yeah. Skeeter's bar talk. Um, but yeah, so we'll have to do Mormonism full on one day, but, uh, in the meantime, um, I guess, We'll, we'll sign off. Uh, try not to apartheid your neighbors. Um, if you have a, a Palestinian friend, you know, check on them. Make sure they're all right. Um, if you have an Israeli friend, they're probably fine. Their death toll hasn't gone up since, you know, October 7th. So, But still um, check on them. I mean, it's the neighborly thing to do. Yeah, it, it, it's the decent thing to do among human beings to care for one another. It's the best we can do. Um, so, and that. I don't care what side of the fence you're on on this. Remember, the other side has a point of view that's just as valid. Well, I don't know. Colonialism's never valid. It just happens. Unless you're looking at it from the perspective of a colonist. <laughs> and like I said, man. 
Israel is there. We can't say that it's not. It exists. We are there. There is two states there. It, it, we can't go back and say it didn't happen. <laughs> no, no. That, that's where we are. And, I mean, like I said, there's nothing really we can do in the meantime. So Israel I has do, its point of, point of view. And people that I support Israel's existence have a point of view. It is just as valid as the Palestinians' point of view, saying that Israel shouldn't be there. It was forced upon them. They both have valid points of view. It's just a matter of perspective, folks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of them is currently doing a genocide, and it's quite likely that if the other was in power, there would still be a genocide going on. So, and on that note, um, yeah, folks, uh, get ready for Donald Trump soon, and uh, I guess fuck around and find out.